Welcome everyone to another episode of Between Two Heads. My name is Jameson Walborn. As always, I'm joined by my co-host Addison Demora. Today we have a very special guest. We are joined by Tito of Swollen Heads Hashco. Tito, thank you so much for taking the time, bro. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Man, we appreciate you coming on. So as we like to do with all of our guests before we dive into all the cool stuff that you're doing right now, we want to take it back and learn a little bit about your humble beginnings. So I know you uh, you grew up in the bustling state of Vermont. I'd uh, I'd love to hear you know what that was like and and what your childhood was like growing up. Yeah, yeah. So Vermont, uh, it's a, a great place to grow up. I I was super fortunate. Um, I had two amazing parents. They they loved me with everything. They put all they had into me and my sister, and so uh, it was. It was a great place to to get a nice solid foundation. Um, and my old man had a landscaping business growing up, and uh, and my mom she was a nurse at the local hospital. So uh, my sister and I went to the public school, like right outside of Burlington area. Um, so that's kind of where I started out. Grew up on like a, a forty acre piece of property on a dirt road, kind of out in the middle of woods. Um, and what were you, yeah what were you like as a kid were you like in, in school were you a class clown were you were you interested in learning were you you know was school a pain what were you, were you like no so school school is always super easy for me I figured that one out pretty quickly and that was like that was a game that I got pretty good at and then didn't really have to put in too much effort into the school kind of you know like uh I would do the cram for test the night before and like you know write my papers the night before and the morning of that they were due that kind of stuff and all my friends were always pissed because I didn't really do any of the work and I still got good grades and all that kind of stuff right so and, uh, so yeah I had I had like a bunch of different um sort of friend groups you know like i I was friends with a bunch of the kids that were nerds. Uh, I was friends with a bunch of the kids that were playing sports. I played hockey growing up. Uh, and I was friends with the delinquents because I don't know, some, something about me from an early age. Like I, I, the first time I got arrested was when I was in third grade. Uh, so uh, something about the delinquents, uh, you know, always, always was a draw for me. So, so um, you said something really interesting to me yesterday that, you know, you knew that you wanted to be involved with cannabis before you were even aware of what it really was. Like, what? talk to me a little bit about that and, and when you first became aware of the plant. Yeah, so I think, I mean, really, I think my first exposure to it was kind of like secondhand through media and, and just like hearing stories from other people, right? Like, I never actually, I didn't, I didn't really see weed for the first time until I was like, I think maybe 13, something like that. It was in seventh grade and that was the first time I smoked. And it was, but I always knew as, as soon as like I, I found out what weed was, right? It always had a huge appeal for me. I was just like, that, that seems like it's for me. All these people that are smoking weed, they're chilling out, they're having a good time. They're seeing color, right? Like you see, on the Simpsons when Homer's smoking weed and it's just like he goes into this cartoon world, right? And so I, I kind of thought that's what smoking weed was going to be like. So I was like, that's, that's for me, you know? And as soon, as soon as I sort of started looking into what was going on with the plant a little bit and, and that I knew I was going to be a stoner, 
I realized that I was going to be growing weed. You know, it didn't, it didn't make sense for me to be buying weed and smoking weed if it's a plant that grows. My old, my old man, you know, he, he had a landscaping business. So he was designing and planting all sorts of plants. He was always in the dirt. He had everything at our property that I could ever need to grow weed, you know. So it was just like no brainer, right? And so what came, before, what came first, uh, cult, the, your your cultivation of cannabis or your your first experience with cannabis? No, smoking smoking came first for sure. But it was like I was before I had smoked, I was pouring through like the overgrow forums, you know. I was like a 12, 12, 11, 12, 13 year old kid just like pouring through the overgrow forums for hours and hours and hours. And it was like I remember Bob Bob was a guy that I always like if I ever saw him posting something on there, it was like gospel, you know, it was like he he was one of the guys that I was just like, okay, I can I can pay attention to him. He's not gonna see me wrong. What, what um, was it that that drew a twelve year old Tito to to overgrow without any experience with, with, with the actual plant? Like what were you fascinated with? What were you drawn towards? Was it the actual cultivation and the cultivation tips that existed, or was it the the variety of, of strains or what was it that pulled you in? Uh, I don't, I don't think it was anything more than just like a, a, a curiosity, you know, it was, I, I knew that it was something that I was going to be into. And then, so it's like, when I, when I get into something, I dive head first, you know? So it was just, I started, I hit the internet. It was still dial up at that point. It was like, uh, I hit the internet and just found overgrow as like the biggest source of information for growing really at the time um and that's sort of what brought me in into it with that and then the first time i smoked weed it was i was in seventh grade and it was like a buddy of mine that i played hockey with um and we just sort of it was after a hockey game i went over to his house we walked down the road we smoked a bowl he got high as hell i didn't feel shit and then uh we smoked another one, same story, and then we smoked a third, and he was absolutely ripped. And uh, and I still wasn't feeling anything, and he just like he was high as shit, and he asked me like what his breath smelled like or something. And so I I smelled his breath, and he told and I told him it smelled like Vienna sausages, and then we both started rolling on the ground, and I was like, oh okay, yeah, I'm fucking high. So that was that was my first experience with that one, uh, and then it just sort of. Uh, I, I was an occasional smoker until I was like 16, you know, and then I had my license and, and one of my homies um, moved to Vermont from Wisconsin. Um, and he was just this hippie stoner kid that smoked every single day and he loved the Grateful Dead and, and live music and we got along like peas and carrots. And so next thing you know, it was like me and the homies were smoking every day with Wisco. And, uh, and so that was like that, that was when I really, you know, I became a true stoner. It was like, I was, I was smoking all day, every day at that point. And yeah, that's when I started selling weed too. It was like, always, always, you know, it never made sense to me for, to pay for something that, that came out of the ground. Right. And so it was like, a lot of people have the, the similar story where it was like, I didn't want to pay to smoke weed because I smoked a lot of weed. So it's like, you know, started buying ounces, you sell, you sell six ounces or six eighths you get two for free and then you know just sort of went from there um but I was definitely I started I started trying to grow weed um 
when I was like 15, I think for the first time. And it was like, I, I bought some seeds off of uh, seed day and there, it was like a, a 10 pack or an eight pack or something of different like Nirvana seeds. And I didn't know any better. They were cool names. They had cool pictures and they were like cheap. I think it was like 15 bucks a pack or something like that. So fuck yeah. So I got those and then uh, I, I continuously kind of tried to pop them. And it was like, so uh, when I was 15, my old man died. Uh, he died in a snowmobile accident in like my front yard. Uh, and so I kind of had like a quite a bit more freedom after that in almost every aspect of my life. It was sort of like, you know, I was, I was of the age where um, I was sort of old enough to take care of myself for the most part, you know? And so my mom kind of just like, let me do whatever. And then like all the teachers at school cut me a bunch of slack cause I was a kid. He was like, old man just died. And then, you know, so it was kind of like, it, it sort of taught me a little bit that like, all, all the rules are just sort of like guidelines, right? And it's like, there's always flex and everything. And you'd like, there's, I don't know. It just, it just sort of made me start to see things differently because there's always exceptions that are made for everything. It's, you know, you see it, you see it in every part of life, right? Like big, big business and the weed and, and, and healthcare and just kind of anything, really, right? So like, I don't know. It, it makes you see that just like sort of all these rules are just kind of almost like a little imaginary line that like don't aren't really there, I guess, right? And so so then at that point I I was already like hanging out with delinquents and stuff and then so it was just kind of like game on from that point, you know, like I was I was I was into it and then uh, so I was like selling selling bags and that kind of stuff. Um where where are we right now in this timeline? Sorry, I got lost. No, no worries. So your 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 father had just passed, and you're just kind of getting into cannabis. And and my question for you is now, you know, the cultivation started. I think I believe you bought your first pack from Nirvana around 15, 16. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so like, was, what did the cultivation look like from there for you? Yeah. So I was popping seeds, and it was like my mom kept finding them. But at first, my sister was in college, right? So it was like I, at first, I was trying to grow them with like these shitty little fluorescent lights, and it was like there were these string bean like seed starts that just weren't doing shit. My mom kept coming in and finding them, and being like, "What the fuck are you doing? Get these out of here! I'm gonna lose the house." I'm like, "Mom, come on, you can see these, right?" And so it was like she kept killing, she kept killing all my plants, and she would find them. I started throwing them outside i got i got the seed start part figured out and then i got them outside and then they'd start growing outside and she'd be like out mowing the lawn or something and she'd find them wherever i'd stash them and you know same deal what the fuck are you doing get these out of here somebody's gonna see these i'm gonna lose the house fuck so and then so i i was trying to do that for a long time trying to hide it from her trying to trying to just like pull one off right it was like i since i was fucking 12 years old i've been trying to figure out how to do this shit and so it's like i'm like yeah let's do it so finally i'm you know i've got a job at this point uh i'm like i'm just about to graduate high school i've put money into like the lights and the fans and the, you know all this shit and so my father, his business, his landscaping business, he had a barn like at the bottom of our property. Had like a quarter mile long driveway that went up the hill. And after he died, nobody really, it was just kind of storage in there, right? And so, of course, that's where I set up my little grow operation. It was like one one little light and uh, 
and I I got it to completion. I was super stoked. I it was fire, fire, fire. It wasn't the Nirvana shit actually. It was like I ended up finding my my grandfather had this friend from over in Brussels who had MS, and it was like she she would bring weed over and she would get high and so it was like i found this little film canister over at his cabin in saranac lake and it had some weed seeds in it right and so it was like ah, i'll pop those and so the first crop that i actually got to finish was those seeds and uh i was so excited i told like everybody you know i'm gonna have a bunch of fire shit coming down you know and it was like a couple of days before i harvested i went down to go check on the plants and the door to the barn was kicked in and all my shit was stolen <laughs> and everything was a mess and so i learned a pretty valuable lesson with that one like shut your fucking mouth if you're doing some shit you don't want people to know about <laughs> yep valuable lesson i think everybody has to learn at least once if not more than once um, until yeah. the hard way that lesson. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? So what happened next, Tito? What What was the next move after high school? So after high school, uh, I went to Syracuse University, and that was a pretty brief little stay. I was there for for the first semester. Um, got really good grades, but uh, I got caught smoking weed like uh, twice twice in a week. One was in the dorms, and then another time was like we we couldn't smoke in the dorms anymore. So they put us like in this in this weird little uh, dorm that was like in this off-campus housing for like um, you know the upperclassmen and athletes. So it was like I was I was eating food with like the the Syracuse basketball players and football players and all those dudes all the time. So it was cool, but. We were right by this married student housing section where they had like a daycare center, right? And so like. Syracuse, there's a shitload of snow. This was in the middle of the winter, and so it's like you're not gonna you're not gonna stand outside and smoke if you're like really smoking a heavy sesh, right? It's too cold. So we couldn't smoke in the dorms, and so we like walked up to this this daycare center, and they had this big shed like back in the back part of the property where they kept like just all sorts of stuff for the daycare, right? So we were in there, and we were smoking pretty tough. And next thing you know, it was like campus, campus police comes in and they've got like their guns drawn and their flashlights and stuff. And so they take us out and they huge bust. Oh, huge bust. Absolutely <laughs> gigantic bust. The shitty thing is there was like this, uh, there was this dude from the reservation that was going to school there and he was getting some heady shit. And I think, pretty sure it was White Widow actually. Um, but I had just picked up like a fresh two ounces from this dude. And it was like, I, I had the whole bag with me when I was like at this sesh, uh, probably trying to look cool or something like that. But, another um, lesson learned. Another lesson learned, exactly. <laughs> Don't bring your whole stash. But yeah, so anyway, it was like, we I, I ended up getting kicked out of, out of Syracuse and then I went back to Vermont. Um, and I finished up, I, I went to school there, finished up, got a degree in molecular genetics. Um, and after that, I started working in a biochemistry lab uh, doing blood coagulation research at the, at the university. And so I was like, most of that was, it was, it was a pretty big lab. And so there was all sorts of different projects going on. And so there was like, there was antibody purification, there was immunoassays that were going on. So you can detect like different levels of proteins in different samples. Um, 
there was a lot of just protein purification to use in these different assays, these different experiments that we were doing. And so I got, there's human tissue culture that was involved in it too. And so it was like, I got, I got a lot of experience in keeping stuff cold and purifying it. Right. And so it's like, it, it was a super, a super helpful experience for the hash making. One, one of my projects was, it was to purify a protein called tissue factor and tissue factor is in a high concentration in human placenta. Right. And so one of, one of my jobs was taking human placenta that was frozen within an hour of the birth, right? Chopping that up, putting it into a, a glorified smoothie machine, and then putting that through the process and then extracting that one single protein out of it, right? And so it's like all of that has to be done in cold. Proteins, if you don't keep them cold, they'll denature, it changes their function, and then they're no good. They, they don't tell you what you're actually looking at when, when you're trying to do these experiments. And so all, all of that was super helpful, giving me just like a base of understanding of sort of like how, how to go about purifying things, keeping them cold when you've got just like a mess of shit basically and you just want that kind of one little thing that you're after right and so, so isolation separation yeah. right exactly exactly isolation separation purification definitely um so so that was i i started doing that i graduated from uvm in 2009 and then i worked in that lab for three years and i was taking graduate courses there in biochemistry and it was it was good it was it, it kept my mind sharp and it was you know i i i've always liked puzzles i've always liked trying to figure out puzzles trying to figure and that that's pretty much what what all of that sort of hard science is it's just it's puzzles you know and so i really yeah. liked it but it was kind of like it at at that time they sort of stopped tenuring professors um and then also the the guy that I was working for, he was a big shot in this field. He was kind of in the twilight of his career, and he had he had three like very very well qualified PhDs that were great scientists, and and he just sort of kept his thumb on them, and he treated them like shit. And I was watching them have have to like kiss the ass of this guy that was like you know basically holding them down and and you know belittling them in front of other people, right? And I was like. Okay, so I'm going to have to go to school for another five years or so, two years of postdoc. So that's like seven years of kissing somebody's ass just like that, right? And then once I get done, if my area of research that I've just spent seven years really honing in and focusing on as my area of expertise, if that falls out of focus and it doesn't get funding anymore, then you lose your lab. There's absolutely zero job security if you're going into academia, which at the time, I didn't want to go into industry because there's there's just a lot of evil shit going on in, in biotech, right? And I mean, it's all, I think, I think that there's a lot of confusion between the actual science and what's going on in the business. The business is super predatory and I think the science is pretty safe, but, but yeah, so, so none, none of that stuff really appealed to me. Right. And so I was like, I, I know how to grow weed. I've grown weed before and I'm sick of being in the lab under fluorescent lights with the lab coat on for, you know, 
50 hours a week. And so uh, I, I quit the lab and I started growing weed um, full time. And that, that was like, I, I sort of made a little transition where I had a tent going um, in the basement of this house that I was renting with some friends. And that was just like one light. Um, and I was just growing like a DWC hydro setup and it was like getting RO water from this fish, this like fish tank store or something down the road. Uh, and so I ran that for a little bit. And then I had, I had this friend that I went to, that I went to school with. Um, and when I was going to UVM, like I was partying there, there was a point where I was partying really hard, right? Like I said before, school was always super easy for me. And that didn't change when I, when I was at the university either. And so it was like, I was able to party. I was working like minimum 40 hours a week, every week. And, you know, I was paying my rent and doing all that stuff. So it was like the, the school, I was still crushing the grades and doing fine. And, you know, I had, I also took a bunch of AP courses, so I was able to squeeze like three years into four. So it was like I had a whole year of courses I didn't have to take, so that let me kind of like fuck around and work a little bit more. Uh, so like I was partying pretty hard, and I ended up getting in trouble because like I got uh, I got in a fight and I got arrested, and then it was like I was on probation for a little while, and so uh, I had to just kind of like clean my shit up basically it was like I I could either plead guilty to a felony assault or I could plead guilty to a misdemeanor assault and if I pled guilty to the felony it would be off my record if I kept my shit clean for two years and and so that's what I decided to do and I just sort of like moved away from everything and I stopped stopped drinking stopped smoking stopped you know partying and I just finished up school and and got done but at the same time I had this friend and she was kind of on the same path as me where it was like, she, she was raging pretty hard. Right. And she ended up, she ended up in a similar situation where she had, she had to remove herself from the situation. And then kind of right when I decided it was about time to stop working at the lab and start growing weed, she sort of came back into like my world. I don't remember what happened, but we ran into each other somewhere and she was like, Hey, if you're, if you're going to stop working at the lab and start growing weed, you should talk with my boyfriend because he's been out in California growing weed and he could be a pretty good like resource for you. Right. And so he and I met and he was, he's like gung ho about growing weed. And, you know, one thing led to another. And next thing, next thing, you know, he and I have like this indoor setup going out in the middle of the woods in Vermont. And it's like, I think we had probably like, I think it was 20 lights something like that which like in Vermont that's a pretty that was a pretty big scene at the time um and so I had that going and then we were we were running that and my buddy just kind of like I don't I don't remember what the impetus was behind it but he just sort of was like you know dude I don't know why we're here in Vermont doing this with like 20 lights when this is a pretty big scene if if we get caught or or something happens here, like this is a pretty big deal in Vermont. But if we go to California, we can grow like ten times this. And if if we get in trouble, it's just like a little. They don't even care. And I was like, what? Nah, you're crazy. And then so he he pulled up the the Google Earth pictures of the Trinity Pines, and it was like he zoomed in on this this farm that he had up there 
a couple years before or the year before or something like that right so he zoomed in on that and he's like yeah this is my place out there like look how much you know this pulls like 800 pounds a year and you know this this is it and then he starts zooming out and there's like one right next to it and then one right above it and one right below it and one right to the right and I was like oh shit there's all these out there too and then he zooms out a little bit more and every one of those has four around it and then he zooms out more and it's just like it blew my fucking mind and it was just like immediately I was like yup let's stop this silly shit let's get out there if they're letting people do this out there like there's no way there's no way that they're gonna pick us out of like this sea of farms that are out there you know and so that was once 215 was on you know that's that's what everybody saw everybody saw that so everybody was was flooding out here and so it was like I I was I've been late to the game in just about every part of this. And it's like, I, I feel really fortunate because I feel like I really am just like sticking my foot in the door as it's closing. And it's like, it's, it's cool because I remember, I remember when I first got out there and it was, it was so, so we're, we were growing that indoor in Vermont. Right. And then he, he came out here and we were sending loads back to back to Vermont to try to pay for this new property, right? He was out like trying to find the, the thing. And um, so things got a little bit screwy with that situation. I ended up having to cut down the house and then I kind of just like skedaddled out of Vermont for a little bit. And in, in that time, uh, in that time, he had found a property up in Wichipec, which is like, uh, you know, kind of next to Hoopa, it's about probably like an hour or so from Willow Creek, maybe an hour and a half from Willow Creek, something like that, right? But uh, so he found this property up there and we were like using using these this these loads to sort of like fund that whole situation for the summer. We ended up getting, he, he ended up getting like a lease option situation for the summer where half of the crop was the guy that owned the property and then half of the crop was ours. And so, we went out there, I think that things got planted in like late May or early June, something like that. Um, and I got out sort of just after they were, were planted and just before we were about to flip and we ran through, we ran through the death harvest. Um, and that was like, that was cookies and um, Cherry Kush and Mr. Nice. And we grew some blue dream and we grew some sour. Uh, and that was like my first, that was my first California crop and it, it crushed. It was like, it was, it was beautiful weed. And it was like, I, I remember my friend, my friend, the, the girlfriend of, of this guy who I was partners with, right. She, she was out at the farm as well. And when I was still back in Vermont, I remember talking with her and she was just like, Oh my God, Tito when you get out here, you're going to be absolutely blown away with how quickly these plants grow in the California sun. Cause up until this point, I'd only, I'd only really seen it in either the Vermont sun, which is cloudy, like, you know, 40% of the days and indoor lights, which like they, it's, it's nothing, there's nothing comparable to the California sun. And so like, 
when I got out there and I saw how hard these things raged, it was just like literally every single day you could see how much bigger they were. And it was just like, oh my God, this is where they're meant to be. We were up in the mountains, the fog would come in every day, you know, and in the mornings it would clear out around like 9.30, 10 o'clock in the valley. And we had bald eagles flying all over the place, you know, and it was just, it was, it was super magical. That first season was, was really amazing because it was just like, it was, it was the three of us. We had all moved completely across, you know, all the way to the other side of the country. Our, our funding stream got screwed up, you know, for the season. So we were like kind of broke. We were, we were really eating like rice and beans and, and canned tomatoes and that kind of stuff. And by the time that we finished that harvest, it was just like, it was that feeling of just like, you can, you can do anything, you can conquer anything, you know? And it was just like, we, we lived completely off the grid for six months or whatever it was. And we grinded through the whole season. We produced super high quality bud that year. It was really, really nice. It was really easy to sell. Everybody that came up to the hill wanted our weed. And it was what's your like, packs? what's your movie packs for it? I think they were going, I think we moved our depths for like 18 in California. And then I think they were going for like three OT, I believe back then, I think is what, what was going on. So it was like, and that was, that was like 2012, I think, is when when that was going on. So that was before, that was like as prices were starting to drop, but it wasn't it wasn't like 2018, you know. That was a crusher. Uh, Craziness, yeah. Yeah. So but, what um, happened? What happened the following season? What like you're you're on the high? You just cashed out. The season went well. The gamble paid off. You're not eating ramen anymore. There might be some lobster and some really nice butter in your in your diet yeah. now. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So the hill, the hill ridge, the hill ridge thing definitely started to kick off pretty good, right? It was like we had nice new grills and like you know it was just all all the all the little like conveniences and comforts, right? That those those we started we started to get, and then at that point, so I still I hadn't I hadn't been paid for for the previous season, right? And it was, we, we were sending most of the stuff back east because we were being kind of greedy about it, right? And like another valuable lesson learned in that it was like, you know, sent, sending stuff back there. Driver got pulled over in Chicago, rolled with the DEA back east, set up the people that were back east. And then they rolled on the farm and then, you know, the, the U.S. Marshals came out and they scooped up my buddy and it was like that, that winter actually, so we, we were up on the reservation or like right next to the reservation. We weren't on the res, but we were like right up next to it. And so in the winter, like all of the farmers leave the hill. We, we didn't leave the hill because we were, we had this barn that was going and it had a hundred lights going in it. It was all running off of this like big ass hundred KW diesel generator. We had like half the lights with 50 lights going at one half the day and 50 lights going the other half of the day. And it was like a crazy amount of, of money and diesel every single day. And like 
and it really it was yeah it was stupid actually because the barn the barn had been wired up by these guys the guys that owned the property before it was like this stolen generator from this construction site right and so it was used and abused it was ridden hard put away wet so it was like the generator was always going down and i was always having to you know like i don't know the coolant was always going all over the place it was always overheating the radiator was always getting fucked up we bought like two or three radiators for the thing so it was just a nightmare of a situation, but uh, but like we we had all of our infrastructure going, and so our neighbor he was like trying to blast BHO, but he didn't want to do it on his property because he didn't have any of his stuff going, right? And we had we had power running for the the indoor and all that kind of stuff, so we were like, yeah, go ahead, like just you know you can blast up here. And so he was up there blasting. He and homie went down to town to go find or to go buy propane. And they drive by his gate as you go down the road. And they realize that his gate was kind of screwed up. They go in there and they realize that like, you know, the, the lock had been cut. They go down to see like what had been stolen. And there was three, there was three people on the property that were there. They had, they were on dirt bikes and they had, they were there like stealing shit while they, while they went in to go check it out. And like the guy that had worked for them the previous season, he, he pulled up in like this shitty Plymouth Voyager minivan or something like that, that broke down as soon as he got to the property. It's like classic Hill story, basically. It's like the guy that comes to work for the summer shows up and his car gets fucked up, right? So, and then it becomes just like a hill relic in the woods for however many years. Uh, so this, they, they pushed his van down to the bottom of the property. So these tweakers that were there stealing shit from the property which is super common when all the farmers go, they just go and they pick whatever they want to steal and they steal it. So they had, they had got this, this Plymouth Voyager running and they had loaded it with all the shit that they were going to steal from the property, right? Which some of it was like valuable stuff. There was like a generator and, you know, some propane tanks. But then there was also just like half empty bottles of shampoo and like, you know, old orange con- orange juice concentrate that had been, you know, out in the sun for three months, like all that kind of stuff. It was just tweaker stuff, really. Uh, so, so two of them took off on, two of them took off on the dirt bike um, and made it out to the road. My buddy pulled his truck across the, the gate so that the other one couldn't get out. And we had, there was a spring that fed both of our properties and we shared it so it was like there's a trail that went from our our cabin to the spring box and then from the spring spring box to their property so through the woods you could get back and forth to the properties and so he took off on the bike down on this trail and my buddy we had walkie talkies and my homie was like yo tito like we were down at at, uh the snake pit and like there are these these guys that were trying to rob the place and one of them's coming like towards you on a bike, you know, and I was like, okay, cool. So I grab, I grab a shotgun, go out into the woods. I hear his, his bike stall out in like the mud. And so like, I'm sort of just like hiding out in the woods, behind some bushes, waiting to see like if I see him coming on the trail or whatever, don't really see him. And you know, after, after a little while of being in the woods, my buddy was like, Hey, yo, Liv is up in the cabin. Why don't you go like check on her? I was like, okay, cool. Uh, so I went up to check on her and then they ended up coming back to our property with all the stuff that the, the, they were trying to steal. And they're like, yeah, we found the bike in the woods. He like got it stuck and it stalled out. 
And I was like, oh, did you go like disable the thing? You know, cause you know, like he's coming back for that thing. That's probably the only thing of value that he has in his life. You know, he's coming back for it. So, and homie was like, oh no, like we didn't, didn't think about that actually. Like, but I'll go back and do that. You think I have time to roll a doobie before I do that? And we're like, oh, it's up to you, dude. He's like, all right, I'll roll a doobie. And as soon as he said that, we heard the bike fire up. And so he grabs a shotgun and takes off running into the woods, just like shooting off rounds in the air, right? And I looked at my homie and I was like, let's get to the road because that's where he's going. And so we we drive up up the road, up to the gates, open the gates up. And as he's pulling out, he was just, my buddy was just like, oh, here he comes. And he was coming up the road. So he pulled the truck across the road to try to stop him from being able to get through, right? But the truck wasn't quite big enough. So I ran to the back of the truck. He ended up going around the front and I like ran and Superman dove at him, but I didn't, I didn't hit him like square off and enough on to like knock him off the bike. I just sort of like glanced his shoulder a little. So he kept going. My buddy turns the truck around and I jump in the bed of the truck and then we take off after him. This is on, I don't know if anybody's ever been on Bald Hills Road um, up, up in like the Wichipec area, but on, on the Wichipec side, it's just like all these switchbacks that you're going up the road. And so he, we lost sight of him and homie was just ripping up, up these switchbacks. And then all of a sudden, same thing. He was like, there he is. And I looked and it was like two switchbacks up and dude is like, you know, cruising. And we, we catch up to him right behind him. And we end up like, we end up running off the road. We, we end up colliding with him, running off the road, going over this like 30 foot embankment. Right. And so as we're, we were like right behind him. I was in the bed. My adrenaline, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I like live for this kind of shit. It's like in, in the moment, like, I don't know. It's just everything slows down. And I just, I just love like how clear like your thinking gets when, when you're used to adrenaline, right? And it's like. Tito's like every, the Tom Selleck of hash. Bro. Dude. Fucking hashing him PI over here. You, you did a, you took a 30 foot jump in the bed of the truck. And then, and, and you didn't hurt yourself and now you're, you're conscious. You didn't knock yourself out. Well, so, so we, we start the bike and the guy disappear from the front of the truck. Right. I, I look over to the right side. I, or the left side, I don't see anything. I look over to the right side and I see, I see the bike under the front tire. And then I look up and we're starting to go over this cliff. And so I was like, all right, if this truck rolls over on me, I'm fucking toast. Uh, so I better jump out before this thing rolls on me so as we start going over i jump out and i landed and it was like i was coming it was like a stand of trees so i landed i bounced and then like when i came up i just sort of like shifted my body because i was headed right to the stand of trees but i didn't get my head out of the way so i like glanced my forehead kind of off of one of these trees and then stopped and then the truck came to a stop like upside down up against the stand of trees too. And so I was just like, homie, homie, you know, I was yelling his name and, uh, and he was just like, Tito, you're alive. And I was like, yeah. He was like, are you okay? And I was like, I think so. And then he was like, let's get this motherfucker. And then I was like, shit, that's right. Like we, we might still have to fight this fucking guy. Yeah. So then I run up the embankment. Right. And then I look down and I see he's, He's like underneath the tire, the, the tire of, of the truck. His legs are like under and he's like groaning. And I was like, ah, oh, dude, we don't have to worry about him. And he was like, is he dead? And I was like, no, he's not dead, but he's fucked up. You know, like we're, and he was like, all right, well, help me, help me get out of this. 
and I was like, okay, so I took a step on my right foot and then I took a step on my left foot and there was just like no integrity in my ankle. It was just like, there was nothing there. And I was just like, ah, and so I was like, dude, my ankle, my ankle's broken. I can't help you. Like, I can't get down there. And he's like, okay, I think I can get out myself. So he got out, he helped me up like the rest of the way to the road. And then I ended up getting airlifted out like with, with the guy, with the guy that was robbing the place. We were like shoulder to shoulder in the helicopter, but the, yeah, I broke, I broke like both sides of the ankle and then fractured my skull uh, from when I hit the, hit the thing. Yeah. So, so then, so, so then after that, we were like doing, doing the load thing. Right. And then that got all screwed up. U S marshals ended up coming out to the property. I took off into the woods uh, and I was still on crutches, like from the, I, I, I think I had had, yeah, I had had my surgery at that point. So my ankle was fixed, but it was still like, you know, all, all casted up and I was in a boot and all that stuff. So I like crutched out into the woods and waited that one out when they came. Uh, and like we took maybe a week off to regroup and then it was just uh, me and homegirl and we replanted and we got like another another employee from back home that came out and started helping us and and we rebuilt uh, the previous winter we got this freak snowstorm and we we ended up buckling two greenhouses in the snow again more more like L's that you learn from all these things right like uh, I don't know they they were like twenty by a hundred I believe no they were thirty by hundreds at that place. So we lost two of those in the winter. So we replanted and then we started to rebuild those two, those two things. And then they did that year. They also did operation Yurok, which was like this big project up in the area where they got a big federal grant to go knock down a bunch of farms in the Valley. Cause the Yurok are like traditionally a salmon fishing tribe. So they got this grant to go up and try to protect the environment because you know, the, all the, all the weed farmers up there were just, you know, destroying destroying the environment for the salmon, which you know is definitely true, but it was it was done with like a blanket sort of thing, you know. So they came, we we replanted, and and they actually they put up like it's funny they gave us a little bit of a warning uh, that we were gonna get raided because they the LA Times put out this this article. It was like a two or three page spread or something like that. That was like Operation Yurok, like to start whatever whatever. And there was a big ass picture of a farm up in up in Humboldt County, and that farm it was a picture of our farm, and so it was like they put that out the morning that they started doing the raids up there, and for whatever reason, we didn't make it on the first day's raid list. They got our neighbors the first day, but they didn't get us. So it was like homegirl was down. She ended up getting a job at the local grocery store down in Willow Creek just to to be able to like feed us and like we would get good deals on on all the stuff at the grocery store and she would get samples and that kind of stuff right because we were like we were super broke after losing like the, the load and then getting raided and then you know so it was like we were we were super rice and beans at that point um and so we we got the forewarning she was at work she came home and she she thought for sure she was going to come home to a raided farm right so she came down and she's like oh my god i can't believe like i've been trying to call you guys all day you know and like 
I didn't know what was going on. We're like, what do you mean? She was like, you didn't like, you didn't hear about what was going on. And we're like, no. And she was like, she, she showed us the paper and it was like, boom, right there. A picture of like the, the main flat with the greenhouses on it. And I was like, what the fuck? And then, so she was just like, yeah, well, I guess, you know, we can't, it was, it was still in homie's name who had been arrested. He was on pretrial. And so it was just like, we were just like, all right, well, we got to cut it down because if they come, this is going to fuck this whole situation up. Right. So we cut everything down. We went and we just like, we stashed a few of the plants like out in the woods, you know? So just in case, just in case we figured we could replant again, if we needed to, and then we had those going and, so they came and they were kind of pissed that like that we didn't really have anything there for them to do anything about because it was like they had taken the weed, they had taken, you know, we cut down all the plants and so there was nothing there for them. So then they bulldozed their greenhouses down again, the ones that we had just built. And like, so then that was like, that was quits after that one. And, but it was like, it was up in Wichipec that I took, I took my first dab up there. And so that was like my first experience with hash. And that was just like, that was just, or at least, at least dabbing hash, you know, before that it was always like the trim, the trim and all that stuff like that, you know, the growers get the hat. We're always the ones that had the hash. It was like, if somebody had hash back, back East, typically you knew that they were like growing their own shit. If somebody pulled out. Do you remember what you did? It was it was something that we grew that year. And so it may, it may have been, I'd say it was either cherry Kush or girl scout cookie. Cause those are were, we, it was, are we talking about BHO? Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about BHO. So that was like, uh, did you have like a lot of experience using that BHO machine that your neighbor had or, or did, did you play with it at all? Or when did your first experience? No. No, so actually, actually, my first experience with that was was with the neighbor. So the the first the first stuff I smoked was literally just like we took some trim that it was it was during trim camp. We took some trim, threw it in a mason jar. We poked a little hole in the in the top of the mason jar so we could squirt butane into it. Filled it up with butane, and then uh, and then we took the top off put a coffee filter on, screwed the top back on and then dumped it out into just like some Pyrex, let it, let it stop bubbling. And then it was like go time. Um, and so that was like the first, that was the first dab I ever smoked full of butane and just like absolutely terrible material. And, you know, it was trim, just like shitty trim. So did you, did you continue on that path? Like, did you continue getting, getting into open blasting? Yeah. So, so then there was this dude that, that was coming up to the farm. We had, you know, we, we grew, I think between the two rounds that first season, I think we grew like between six and 700 pounds or something like that. Um, and so we had a lot of trim. And this and was so 2012, this, Tito? 2013? Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is 2013 now at this point, this is, this is the next season. Um, and so there's this guy that was coming up, uh, he was coming up from Tahoe and his name was Mike. We just called him oil Mike. Like that was, that was, you know, his little moniker or whatever. And like oil Mike would come up every once in a while and he would bring his wife and, and they would come and just like set up. He was open blasting in tubes and he came up and he was like, he was using this, this food dehydrator to dry out all of the material before he ran it. He packed it into his tube 
And by doing that, he was getting it to be like super stable, like shatter, shatter, you know what I mean? And it was like, you know, obviously, you know, now that that's not really what you're supposed to be doing, but it was like, we were all blown away because it was just like stable, stable, like drop it on the table and just splinter everywhere type stuff, right? So it was like, Oil Mike knows how to make the best shit, like come up, run all of our stuff, please, please. So he came up and then it was just like, you know, it's sort, it's sort of, when you see hash being made, if you have, if you have like a little bit of intelligence, you say, that's not that difficult to do. I can do that. Yeah. Right. And so it's like pretty quickly we started, we started jumping on the like, all right, let's get the stuff and let's start making this. And you was know, this so before then, or after oil Mike blew himself up? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, oil Mike, oil Mike, uh, I don't think, I don't think he had, he ever had any problems with that. That's good. But so, That's good. But so then, then, uh, like there there was this other dude there's this dude from out in mad river i don't remember what the hell his name was he was a crazy guy but uh but he bought a closed loop machine and so he brought that up to the property because he he was one of these guys that was just it was like dick measuring contest everywhere he went right so it was like he came up to hang out and he like brought brought this big you know it was like a five pound extraction like closed loop machine and like he just brought it up to come hang out you know it wasn't like he was coming up to run material he was just like oh look what i just bought you know? like, look at this keychain i have yeah like, but so fuck? but so then but but that just like led to us basically like co-opting that machine for a month you know it was like he, he just bought the thing he brought it up to us and then it stayed at our place for like a month i think he and knew then, what he was doing bro <laughs> yeah yeah, you're probably right, actually. He knew what the fuck he was it. doing, bringing his but machine he, up yeah. there. Well, we weren't even running his material. I was, yeah, but anyway, so like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that was that was sort of my first experience with that, and it was like that. Once we started running that, and it was it was just like uh, we were we were just dumping like pounds and pounds and pounds of hash out and it was like that was that was in the heyday of bho so then you know it's like the value added the value added thing only makes sense when you're sort of a small a small operator and at the time yeah you know we were growing a decent amount of weed but it, it was still back then we were like the small guys in the area you know which always is sort of like up there that was always kind of the the mantra that that we were told is like as long as you're not the biggest guy on the hill you probably don't have very much to worry about so like we weren't the biggest guys on the hills we were still producing a decent amount of stuff but like the value added thing right it was like you you're turning your trash you're turning the stuff that like you you're gonna end up composting into something that's worth uh, like almost more money than than your flower crop at, at some points in the in the BHO game, right? So, like, it, that that we we realized pretty quickly. Like, we we had to start jumping on that thing, and then also it was like, you know, it, I think for a lot of people too, when when the hash when things aren't going well, when thing gets things get screwed up with your operation, like the hash is always a good fallback because it's like, it doesn't take a lot of investment. It's pretty low, low upfront cost and you can make it pretty quickly and pretty easily without a lot of labor. And then at the time it was just like a feeding frenzy for the stuff. So it was like, 
you know, I think at, at different points in the game, that was just like the savior. And then the other, the other at, at different points in the game, like clones too, man, clones are the same gig. It's like, if you know how to, if you know how to grow plants, that's pretty low overhead in a small amount of space, you can crank out a ton of clones. And like that, that's, that's paid for multiple seasons for me. You know, so, like in when I, when I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I just, sorry to interrupt, you know, I wanted to, I want to kind of like keep on a bit of a timeline because we were, we were really rolling on that. What happened like after Operation Yurok? What was the, what was the, the result after you made the decision to cut down that crop and then you, you're hiding in the woods? What, what happened? Yeah. Next? Yeah. So then, then we were just kind of like, uh, we were just sort of like homeless a little bit at that point. Like I spent a few days sleeping on like clan beach. And then I had, uh, I had a buddy that lived. Um, he was actually the neighbor, the neighbor that was up there. He had a house in Arcata. He lived there with his, his wife and kids. And so I crashed at their place for a couple of days. And then, um, and then one of my friends or, or the guy from Vermont that came out to work with us, he had a buddy that he just hit up randomly and he was living down in Arcata and um it's uh my my buddy max now and this is the first time i met him and he was just like yeah come like you guys come crash on my couch you know like come come hang out like dude figure out whatever you got to figure out you know like maybe maybe we can get you some work at like some other other properties something like that you know like who knows but come crash like you got a place and so I went down there and I crashed on the couch for a week and it was like, I, I went around and I did some trimming work just to get a little bit of money. Um, and then I also, I got like a $25,000 insurance settlement from that accident that I broke my ankle and fractured my, my skull. So like that, that came in shortly after we got raided. I think it was like two or three weeks afterwards. Right. So it was like, I was bouncing around for a little bit, but then as soon as, as soon as that, that check came in, then I was like, okay, game time it's it's time to start working i bought a closed loop machine i like all of the money that i was owed for trimming i just said yo pay me in trim and they gave me trim and then i took it my my buddy who i was working with he had a place up in the pines and he had rented that out and when we got rated for uh when we got rated the first time they also came out to that farm, which he had leased out to these kids, right? And so they came out there and they knocked down the farm there. The kids were pissed because they were like, yo, we got raided because of your your decisions. Like, that's not that's not super cool. And homie was like, well, I, there's nothing I can do for you about it right now. And so they just destroyed the property, basically. And so homie was like, yeah, you can you can go up to the pines and like, you know, maybe clean the property up and you can like do some work up out of there. And, you know, you'll have like a home base or whatever. So then I went up into the pines. Um, and I was just cranking away BHO up there for a little bit. And, uh, and then, yeah, well, I, I ended up, uh, having like a little accident ended up burning the burning the cabin down that was up there no no explosion but you know fire uh which which was not good and it was like i luckily luckily they got the fire out like fairly quickly because it was like when when it was happening it was like i went out to go check i was i was blasting in this garage right and it was like uh it was a metal sided garage cement floors and i had like the big garage door open so like pretty good in terms of ventilation and nothing nothing that's really gonna burn right so 
I had, I was blasting in there. I had poured my honey pot off into a Pyrex dish and it was still just sort of like bubbling away a little bit and the wind had picked up and I didn't want like dust or anything to, to blow into the Pyrex dish. And so I just like, I took the Pyrex dish and brought it inside into the kitchen and I figured it was, you know, it had bubbled off enough that like, I didn't think it was going to be super dangerous. Right. And I went outside to check the, the back oven, came back out. And then there was like smoke coming out of, out of the door of, of the, the cabin. And I was like, oh, fuck. So I ran inside and it was like the Pyrex dish was on fire. Still not really sure exactly like what it was that caused the, the ignition, but um, the flames were like licking the ceiling in the kitchen. And so I pulled the Pyrex dish off, put it on the floor. In my panic, I like couldn't find where I had the fire extinguisher. So I went and I grabbed like a blanket to go smother the Pyrex dish. And in doing that, it was like the, the blanket was almost more flammable than the goddamn butane was because it was like, it just, it went up so fast as soon as I started to smother it. And it was like, then I, then there was like this mattress, right? So then I ran and grabbed this mattress and I was trying to smother it with this mattress. And the mattress was more flammable than the goddamn blanket was. Oh, and so it was like, I was here just feeding this fire, basically. And then so I, I, I bolt out the back door and I run across the street. There's this sketchy ass old neighbor. It was so like the Trinity Pines, right? I told you, you zoom out. There's all these pot farms up there. It's lawless. The cops never go up. It's like people are shooting guns all the time. There's packs of feral dogs that are like super dangerous, actually. And like, it's just lawless up there. Absolutely lawless. So this old dude, he's not even growing weed. He's just a crazy bastard that's like, you know, living off the grid, just being a wacko. So I run, I run across the street to this guy. The first time I show up to the property, he's standing in the middle of the road with like a sawed off shotgun. So it's like, I run over there hoping not to get shot by this dude. And I'm like, yo, yo, you have a fire extinguisher? And he's like, yeah, you want me to call the, the fire department? And I was like, you bet your ass you call the fire department. And so I ran back and, and, like the back, the back door to the kitchen, which is where the fire started, right? That was right. So I opened the door and then I sprayed the floor to like gain entrance, right? This is like, I remember that from middle school fire safety or some shit, right? And so I spray the floor and I walk in and as I walk in, I carry a bunch of oxygen. So I just get blasted by this fireball. And it was like, burns my, burns my eyebrows and my mustache and you know, all that. But no, that's not happening. Go back out the door. And then I just start running around grabbing like everything I can. That's going to be like a sketchy thing for if anybody comes. And so I just started like scooting all that stuff out in the woods. Fire department comes. They get the fire out. Like thankfully, because it was like if I, if I had set the pines on fire, you know, that's like five or 600 farms that are producing a thousand pounds each that are all like hating keto at that point and so I was like yeah I was I was crossing my fingers that they were going to get that out and I was going to be able to leave the pines that day uh so yeah that happened and then it was just like dude Tito you just like you almost died like chasing down the dude that was robbing you like you got raided twice you almost died in this fire you almost went to jail from this fire like I think I think it's time to like chill the fuck out for a minute. Like let's let's regroup. Time to go and so, bro. <laughs> well, and I mean, really, just like every so, I went back to Vermont after that. I was just like fucking dick in the dirt. Like 
you know, depressed. I'd, I'd been wanting to do this stuff. I, I finally had been living my dream for the last like two, two and a half years, something like that. Right. And then it was just like, all of it fell apart. All of it fell apart. I didn't have any money. And it was like the, the, I, I burned the house down. My buddy, he, he owed me a bunch of money for working for the season. All of our crop got sold and everything. And then everything went to shit with like the raids and the, this and the, that. And then I burned the house down. So it was like, basically what he owed me for growing all that crop of what came off of it was basically equivalent to the value of the building that I burned down. And so it was just like, he lost out on the building. I lost out on all the money that was being paid. He was going to jail. I didn't have shit. I couldn't, you know, I was like, I didn't, I wasn't comfortable being in California because it was also at the time when like, when a BHO lab goes up, like they're not super happy about that. And they're like, you know, those are the kind of things that they were really looking at. So I was like, eh, I'm going back to Vermont. And so I went back to Vermont for like two years, almost two years. Um, and I spent the season growing grapes uh, for making wine at a winery back there. Um, and that was, that was really interesting. And then a friend of mine, um, a friend of mine who I, I grew up with, his old man had a, an ornamental flower nursery. Um, and it was like, I don't know how many, I don't know how many acres of production he has, but it's like, it's the biggest one in Vermont. He supplies the, the New England and tri-state area. Um, and so I got to see how like a, a larger scale nursery operation runs, you know, efficiently. And, and he, he did a really good job at producing a lot of really high quality plants, right? And I got to see everything from, from start to finish and, and the customer service and the wholesale and the, and the sales and the delivery. And he just, he just put me in the in, in positions where I, I literally got to see how everything worked, right? And so I just, I wasn't really doing anything back in Vermont. I was like hustling, I was hustling slabs and, and I was hustling weed and I was like getting, I was partying, getting high, just being an asshole really, like not really doing anything productive. And uh, I remember my, my brother-in-law said to me like, hey dude, like you, you're not doing shit here. Like, look, look at what you got going on right now. Nothing, nothing's going. Like, get back out to California. Like that, that's when you're out there. That's where you're doing well. You know, that's that's where things are working for you. So, you got to get back out there, man. And so I did. I like I I bought this $600 GMT Jimmy and packed up, you know, some some shit. And then I drove across the country. And my homie had just gotten out of jail. And he, he and his lady, like she had, she was pregnant. Um, and when I got out to California, it was like, I was running real low on funds. I hit him up and I was like, oh yeah, she just gave birth to two twins. And you know, and I was like, oh shit, now is not the right time for me to come in and start working, you know? And like, you, you guys just had kids. I'm not trying to add that. So then it was like, I just sort of like bounced around. I did a little bit of trimming work. I went up to Oregon. I like did a little bit of work up there. And then when I came back down, it was like, uh, they had, they had finished up from the previous season. Things had calmed down from the kids and they were ready to go on vacation. And so they were like, yo, Tito, we're going to go to Florida for a month. And like, you want to watch like the farm. We got this little indoor going in the basement. And then also we're starting up this nursery. Um, and 
was like, yeah, sure. And it was like, literally, I just finished working at the, at that ornamental flower nursery. So it was like, I, I went in, they, they were just getting this, this nursery off the ground. And so it was like, we, we went in, we planted all the moms. We got this, like, it was a, it was a metal building that the, the top was just corrugated plastic. And so it was, it was just like sort of a cheap little, like, I don't know, way to have a greenhouse that wasn't really a greenhouse. Um, and then there was a big metal building next to it too, that, that was just all enclosed. And so then, you know, we got all the moms planted and we sort of like figured out how to scale up like the propagation part of what we were doing and start really like cranking out lots and lots of clones, you know, in like seven to 10 days, we were getting full trays rooted. And then it was just kind of go time where we were, we were crushing out plants. It was like people were coming in and, and we were selling them and it was working really well. And, uh, and my buddy was kind of just like, you know, dude, like you, with all the experience you had at this place and with how things are going, like it, it would be cool. The, the idea was for me, he had just picked up a new property. I mean, the idea was for me to run the new property and in, in, I was supposed to just be doing the nursery until it was time to get the farm season going. And so he sort of said like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to do the nursery or do you want to do the farm? And I always, I want to, I want to produce for me. It's like, I, I want to see the flower at the end. You know, that's what it's all about. It's like seeing, seeing what comes out at the very end of it. So the other part is just like, a, it's another puzzle, you know, like the, the propagation part of it's just another puzzle to solve and it's a part of the process. But the, the actual production is what I like. Um, and so, you know, I just sort of, was trying to find find the balance between training people and then starting starting the new farm season and then the the business partnership with that kind of like uh fizzled out between my buddy and the guy who he was doing it with and then as I sort of stopped being down there as much um like the the level of quality of the plants started to go down a little bit because the people hadn't been trained up quite a quite enough to be able to take that over right so it was just like sort of a sad little thing to see that one dwindle away but it was also like i i got a, a lot of experience in producing a lot of a lot of like healthy clones um and in a timely manner and then also just like you know learning learning how to take orders manage people's expectations of of timing and numbers and and realistically what's going to come out for them you know, at the end when they're harvesting and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so, so that was a super valuable experience. Um, it was, you know, again, it was a lot of work that like, I never, I never really, I think got compensated for, but it was like, I got compensated in so much more than that because after, and I'll, I'll get into it later, but, but so, so I transitioned to the farm, right? And then shortly after we planted the farm, that place got rated. So it was like now, now at this point, I've been rated three times. I've been I've been rated more times in California than than I've had successful crops. That's right. And so we replanted again, or we replanted there. We got a crop off there. He had he had another property, and then it was just like because he he was still on papers for the whole thing back in humble right and so when we got raided then it was time for him to just sort of like back off disappear he was like he was being trinity county has been like a very difficult place 
been a super difficult place for the people who are trying to enter into the licensing process because there's been there's been a series of events and then also changing of the guard at the county where it's like at at first there there were issues with the CEQA and the environmental impact uh, report for the county and then that sort of like hemmed things up for us up there and then they were allowing us to continue you know with these provisional licenses without the CEQA being done and then the county got sued by a group of anti-cannabis people saying like hey how can you allow this program to go on if you don't know how it's going to impact the environment right and then, so then they shut the they they stopped doing anything with the program at all. And like every everybody up there has been waiting for renewals for their licenses now for, you know, months and months and months. I think that like there's like a few people up there now that have their licenses and they're they're just getting planted. But it's just it's been a nightmare to get any projects off the ground for people up there that are trying to go the licensed route. And so this this was sort of like in some of the initial stages of the licensing in Trinity County and it was like there's the farmers there are frustrated and and he was very vocal about it and I think that because he was so vocal it sort of put a target on him and so they were they kind of looked for whatever reasons they could to come and raid the farm right and then he was also he was also on papers at the same time and so like he just sort of had to step away and in doing that it was kind of like a hey like Tito, we don't really have a lot of money right now, and you know, like we got to keep this thing going. And so it was like I was cutting clones to be able to pay the the other employees that I was working with and managing, and and cutting clones and selling clones to be able to keep the generators filled and the and the nutrients going and all that. And so we we got the we got the crop finished that year, and it was it was a good crop. It was good. It was good product. We sold everything at like good numbers. And that was, that was the year after, I think that was the year after 2018. I think, no, 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 no. That was, that was the first year that like numbers kind of came back up again after they hit, after they hit the ground. Um, so it was like, it was a good season and I got cashed out for my season that year. It was the first. It was the first time that I'd ever been paid for like actually growing growing weed in California, which I think is another common thing that people go through out here. It's like you, you know, it's a you take your licks, you know, and it's like if you if you get in there and you're able to take take those licks and and you keep on going with it, you know, I think, I think that's the kind of stuff that like builds the tough skin that now, now with the industry, the way it is, it's like, you got to have that tough skin. You got to have that like, well, shit happened and I lost everything and I was able to still like come back and, you know, like make stuff happen and, and, and get to where I am now. And if it all happens yeah. again, then I can do that again, you know? And so it's like, uh, all all of that stuff it sucked but at the same time you know it's like i'm i'm almost glad that i worked all those years and didn't make any money and i and i was put into the position where i i was running somebody else's farm and coming up with the finances for it and paying the other employees and all this stuff because it gave me the confidence 
to know that I could do it for myself. And so it was like, all right, if I, if I'm capable of doing this and pulling it off like semi successfully for another person, if I do it for myself and I put in twice the amount of effort, then there's no way it's not going to work. Right. And so then after that season, it was just like, I, I went around to everybody I could possibly think of and asked them, Hey, do you know anybody who's trying to get rid of a property? Do you know anybody who's trying to lease a property? You know, and it was just in, in asking literally everybody that I knew out there. And, and I had met a lot of people like the, the clone game. That was another thing where it was like in selling all those clones, I made so many connections in Trinity County that I never would have made otherwise. And it was also like, I knew, I knew who had what weed too. So it was like, that was also like another, another benefit of selling the clones, right? It's like, you have, you, you know, who's, who's got the papaya cake, you know, where to get papaya cake, you know, where to get the dosi dough, you know, you know, who's got the sour cups because they came and they bought a thousand of them from us. And so like all, all of the networking that came from just having plants available and then also the confidence of, of being able to run the farm. I was like, all right, I can do this myself. I, I took all the money that I made from that season and, and I found, um, in asking everybody, I actually found two places that were going to work for me. And so I, I like rented this one little property in, uh, in Douglas city. It had like 48 smart pots on it up on the hill. And it was like this little cabin down by this Creek. And, uh, and then I found, um, a farm over in junction city and it was a similar situation to the one that my buddy had in, in humble, where it was like, we, we were going to split the, split the crop that came off of it that year. And then. I I was going to use all the money that I made from that as the down payment and to continue on that property. And so um, I did that. And it, at that point, it was, it was just me. I had some people that were going to partner with me on it, but they kind of got cold feet um, and backed out. And everybody at the time was kind of just like, you know, Tito, I'm not sure if this is the right move. Like it's kind of a bad time to start buying things like the door shutting, you know, all the stuff. And I was like, no, no, no. like this, I've been waiting. I've been waiting my whole life for this shit. Like I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give up when I'm like on the precipice of this thing. Right. So, so I went, I went balls to the wall and did both places. And it was like, I, in doing that, I didn't have a ton of money to continue for the season. So it was just, you know, same old song and dance. I got the, I got some, some mothers of some wedding cake. And it was like, it was that JBZ cut of wedding cake. It was like, it was just before that cut got blown out. It was like, it started to get around Trinity, like a decent little bit. And then, and then there was a couple people up there that just sort of like got it everywhere really. Um, And I got the cut from, um, homie snake over at telos farm shout out telos farms they're up in trinity county they grow fantastic weed um all all family it's a family farm all organic uh all sun-grown and they they have amazing stuff so shout out telos um but they they gave me all these old mothers that they had and with those mothers you know i just i just started cranking away it was like i think i got into the property and in maybe the end of February or something like that. And I just started cranking away clones and I sold, I don't know, I sold a good like 10, 20,000 clones out of like this little basement that I was in um, real quick. And I just sort of used that to fund the, fund the season. 
and got that one got that one out of the way and um like the guy the guy that I was partners with he was he was just sort of getting into um the hash making scene and he had he had his property up the road and so he was like all right well let's grow a hoop of gmo and then we'll take a hoop of your wedding cake and we'll run that as fresh frozen right he he was like running some stuff for fresh frozen um and we froze all that turned it into hash and then when it came down to look at the numbers it was like those two hoops that we turned into hash ended up making us like just about as much money as the entire rest of the garden right and then, so it was like uh all right well then it only makes sense to start turning this stuff into hash and i think it's sort of you know another common thing where it's like once people see that it's if you have any amount of intelligence right it's like okay well i'm gonna start making the switch over to that and luckily like i i adopted sort of on the earlier side of of people being willing to freeze their whole garden and it was like the next the next season it was you know i was one of those people that everyone was saying like yo dude you're gonna freeze everything you're fucking crazy and then it was like you know fast forward two years and now it's like everyone's like hey i'm i'm freezing my whole garden like is there anything you can do with it and so again it was another one of those situations where i just like sneak snuck my foot in the door like kind of right at the right time like just just as things were starting to close and and luckily you know i got uh i got some really good genetics um i got that honey banana cut uh the head that roll cut so the guy that the guy that i brought i bought the property from um is terry from passion flowers so he got that cut from heads that roll um they were working together a while ago and pat gave him that cut and then terry terry saw that i i was just like cranking out clones um you know he was he was watching me he was watching me uh crank those things out and he said like hey dude i've i've got these farms that are going and i don't really have the staff up here during the winter to keep things these things healthy can you like come up and take some cuts and save the genetics and then you know get us back some healthy stuff and i was like yeah of course so i got him going and then he was like well dude like you you can crank out the clones why don't you just supply all of the clones for me for my farms for the next season and then you know you can use whatever whatever genetics that you want of mine you can't you know don't give them out to anybody else and like you can run them as much as you want and you know you give me the clones and, and we're all we're all gravy and so that's how that's how i ended up with that honey banana cut um and that was really that was another thing that it was just like when people heard that i had honey bananas they were they were all about it they're like oh no way i can get honey bananas and and that was before really like a whole lot of people had it and it was kind of that that property in in trinity like on that road it was it, it was at one point it was me at the bottom and then there was hash and flowers up the road and then there was uh the mad hasher was on that road and then also um heads that roll was also like the next farm up from them and so like on that hill there was like a a good little 
belt of of hash production there and then also you know like sift sift was coming up there for a little while and and um the triangle trichomes guys were up on that hill too and so like there there was really just like kind of a crazy amount of of hash and hash makers operating right all there in the same situation a lot of the honey banana during that time was all coming from our hill and uh and it you know i think at first, I I was just sort of white labeling everything. That was kind of everything that was yeah, was going on for me. I didn't I didn't have a brand. I didn't really know a whole lot of people um, to sell anything to in terms of hash. And it was like that was that was one of my initial hesitations with freezing stuff. It's just like, hey, I don't sell I don't sell the stuff. I don't. I, that's not my gig. I can sell flour. I have those. I have that network. But like, I don't I don't know the people buying hash. And pretty quickly, I realized that it was like, if you, if you had high quality stuff, and especially at that point, if you had high quality stuff, it sort of sold, sold itself, you know, and, and you just had to get it in the hands of the right people. And so uh, my buddy, Charlie and I went to Emerald cup um, that year uh, and just started going around and, and shoving jars of hash in people's face. And it was, I, I met, uh, the homie Ashok with Ganja Guru. I met him uh, at that place and, and shout out Ashok. He's been he's been somebody that's been helping me since day one with everything. He plugged me in with like the first people that were really buying like a decent amount of my hash on on a on a, a level that was like sustaining me as a as a business and, and as a farm and and it was just sort of like a a lot of the they're not a lot, but there's a decent amount of like the bigger brands out there that people, people know and smoke on that were, you know, like putting my hash in their jars, which was, it was really cool to see, you know? And then it was also sort of like at that point, you know, I was, I was selling everything for 35 bucks a gram. And then you watch, you watch somebody slap a sticker on it and then they sell it for, you know, eighty eighty dollars a gram at that point and you're like well shit i need to make it thicker right and so then that was that was kind of the birth of the swollen head it was just sort of recognizing that like yeah the hash is a value-added product and and the way that you really add the value to your product is to build a brand and to be able to tell your story of of what that really means you know of of what your brand actually represents right and so that's that's sort of you know what what i'm trying to do with swollen hands is i'm i've always been a storyteller uh i i love telling stories i i could talk for days telling all the stupid stuff i've done in my life uh but it's like this 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 is an outlet for me for me to be able to tell a story you know it really is it's like i think i think that what people don't understand about hash and specifically growing for hash um is that there's there's like a, a a million little moments that go into producing a jar that that when you hit it it has complexity and depth and it stays in your mouth and it stays on your tongue and it's and and there's a lot to appreciate there right and there's that's the more of that that's in the jar the more little moments 
there are that have been paid attention to from the point where that plant was tiny until that that hash went into the jar right there's a million little moments that you can screw up and there's a million little moments that you can put time and, and attention into and that's that's the story that i always am trying to tell right is that like all of these little things are what go into this jar that that you know some people suck down in half a day or something like that but it's like it, it really is like there's there's so much that goes into these jars that like you know ev everybody that's producing this this like higher quality solventless product you don't you don't get that without caring you don't get that without putting the love in you don't like you just don't you know and it's, it really is all those tiny little complexities and variances like those that all comes from putting the time and the effort and the love into the crop and then also you know the process of making the hash too um what do you think is something that's often you know overlooked by up and coming or younger hash makers um you know what, what's one thing you see that there's often could be improved upon um well i think one of the things for young hash makers, I think, first of all, don't chase yield uh, because right now there's only right now there's there's a certain amount of like really really well yielding flavors, right? And so it's like if you're chasing the yields, you're going to end up with a pretty homogenous like flavor profile in your menu when compared to like other brands right and so keeping keeping your stuff different which means not washing gmo not like or not washing only gmo not washing only papaya cake not washing only cans not washing only cookies and cream you know all these ones that just like our production strength don't chase don't chase those ones um i think I think menu selection is a big thing, right? And then also being able to control where your inputs come from, I think is probably the biggest thing. If you're not growing your own stuff, you got to cozy up to some grower that really knows what they're doing because you're, you're never going to be able to produce good hash unless you have good starting material, right? And it's like I was saying before, you're never going to be able to have good starting material if you don't have somebody that's putting in that attention and that and that energy and that focus into really understanding what's going on with their crop and so i think if you're if you're not growing your own stuff then building a relationship with the people that are growing your stuff so that number one you can tailor a menu and number two you have a lot more information about what's going on with that product because when you're when you're in touch with the material that's going in then then you can make different decisions about about like how you're going to wash it right like if you know something's a super melty strain and and it's gonna it's gonna dump a lot in the 90 or the 120 well then maybe maybe you do a bunch of of quick spins and you forget about your longer later spins and you just try and collect that melt and you say you say forget like put put the 70 down into the 45 and just go after the melt you know and like that, that kind of stuff, like when you, when you really know your material and it's consistent, which is difficult to do 
with outdoor, right? The consistency in outdoor is another thing that's sort of like a little, a little bit more of a challenge to deal with because even if it's the same grower, the environment's going to be different from season to season, right? The bug pressures and and the you know the the different environmental conditions. Yeah, so if it's greenhouse or indoor, there's even slight differences, you know, that we see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, greenhouse too, greenhouse too, and so. You know, I think I think that material, like having having some type of control over over the material, that's that's something that that up and coming ash makers need need what to it, understand too. What are your thoughts on um, fresh press versus cold cured cold cured resin? Like, like, are you do you lean one side or the other? Yeah, I mean, my thoughts on fresh press are. Um, I understand why people like fresh press. I think it's, I think, you know, the real connoisseurs like to see how it cures up and then they like to play with it after it cures up to whip it up and see how it whips. And, you know, you, like me personally, I don't like smoking fresh press. There's very, there's very few fresh press uh, products that I've tried that I've, that I've wanted to dab as fresh press again. You know, it's like T-Beetle, I think, I'm wondering, I'm trying to remember what it was he gave me. I feel like it was either, I think it was Heroes Con Leche, but he gave me some fresh press of that, and it was just, like, absolutely delicious. And I was like, you know, that's one of the exceptions I can think of. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, I think I got, I think the Dr. Vert peach rings that I had was fresh pressed too, if I remember right. And that was like, that was some of the best hash that I've ever had. That was, that was absolutely delicious. Um, but yeah, so, so some, some fresh presses, it tastes great, but I think that same hash when it's cured is better. So I, it's like, it's like when you're, when you're drying flour too, right? Like you, you cut it down, it's freshly dry, you smoke a doobie and it doesn't taste as good. And then after, after you let it cure out and, you know, your, your terpenes mature and, and your heads like, you know, finish, finish ripening or whatever's going on in that process where the terpenes are sort just, of like. Just speaking on that for a minute, have you ever encountered a varietal that you enjoy uh, dried, semi-dried, dried and cured resin more than you prefer it in live fresh frozen form? Um, yeah, I'm definitely, but typically, typically those are the ones that like don't wash super well, right? So it's like the resin, the resin just like either, either it's super greasy, so it carries something through with it. So it might be like a little dirty or something like that. And it's just not, it's not as, it's not as high of a quality or, um, I'm trying to think if there's like stuff that I really enjoy, you know, besides the ones that don't wash, that I really enjoy is flour more, more than hash. I mean, I, I have this papaya cake number two cut and that one, that one's really good in hash too, but honestly, I like that better than flour. I don't, I don't grow for flour anymore except for the save a few branches. Um, and then actually this guava Z, my guava Z number seven from Bloom Seed Co. I hunted that two years ago. And that one, that one has an absolutely phenomenal taste, absolutely phenomenal taste. But like the resin, the resin from that is a little bit drier. Um, and so 
I don't quite like it for solvent work as much. Um, and and but the flour the flour on that is phenomenal. It almost has like a cheesy, it's like a cheesy armpit kind of taste. I've already heard you talk about grabbing the melt, um, but where, where do you stand on that whole melt versus rosin spectrum? Do you do you pull a lot of melt, or do you just save that for special occasions? So, my in my process, um, basically when when we're washing, you know, we're we're pulling the melt bag. So like the the ninety and the one twenty. Um, we pull the 120 on every wash, but we pull the 90, we pull the 90 on the first wash. And then sometimes if it's going to yield big in the melt bags, we'll pull it on the second wash too. Um, and then typically the second wash is like where we're getting our 70 to 120. The third wash, sometimes that'll go in there too. And then the fourth wash is just sort of all back that, that will go into, you know, either edibles or, or some other kind of, uh, ancillary product. But uh, but in terms in terms of like melt, we haven't put out we haven't put out any melt yet, and part of that is is because I haven't really been growing specifically for isolating melt, and I guess what I'm trying to say with that is I've got an outdoor farm. And so if you're trying to grow melt at an outdoor farm, you've got to be really careful with how you have your property set up. So you're not getting dust blowing around and all that kind of stuff. And so this year I've, I'm in the process of mulching everything with wood chips, my entire, you know, all the property that's around. And so I'm trying to cut down on that dust so that we can start putting some melt out because our, our, our melt bags are phenomenal. I've, I have, I have, a bunch of the 90U uh, and 120U saved away that like I haven't really done anything with besides enter stuff into Legends and Ego and, and the best of New York competition and, and that kind of stuff, right? So I have I have all the 90U that, that's been squished or the majority of it's been squished, but it's just, it comes out a little bit too peppery for what I would want to put out, right? Like the melt is for the connoisseurs and the, the people that really know hash so it's like they're those are the people that are going to be critiquing your product and i don't i don't want to be putting anything else that somebody's gonna say that's not fire i'm always trying to put something out in the jar that people are going to say wow that's really nice work and right now i don't i don't think that we've been you know capable of putting out melt that's that's like that because we're just a little too peppery and so hopefully this year we'll be able to start putting that out and and the people who have been asking to see the mail and and all that stuff we'll, we'll be able to show that to you guys and, and hopefully hopefully everybody will enjoy the melt just as much as uh as they've enjoyed a rosin for sure as somebody who's gone to look at a ton of indoor as well as get his hands in, on a ton of outdoor what what are your thoughts on the cultivars you've seen expressed both in, inside and outside, like, is there always a consistent uh, lift with the sun grown or is, is there some cultivars that do better indoors? Um, I sort of, I have a bias opinion, right? And it's because I'm an outdoor farmer. I think that as a whole, sun grown outdoor, outdoor farmed resin is, of higher 
higher quality in terms of like what what I want to be smoking, right? And so what I want to be smoking is it's a dab that's clean. It's a dab that has a lot of smell. It's a dab that has you know the right color to it. And I don't I don't necessarily mean it has a light color, right? Like that a lot of times that does mean it's a high quality, but not always. But uh, it's it's got a uh, the right color to it. And then also it's, it's got complex flavors. I want, I want hash that's going to tell me that story. I want hash that's got a beginning, a middle and an end. I, I call them three dimensional dabs where it's like, you've got different flavors that are coming in and they're hitting you when you're, when you're bangers at different temperatures. Right. And so like, I like to smoke hash that's like you get your gas in the beginning, some kind of fruit, and then some kind of candy or gas at the end too. Like it just, it takes you on a little ride, right? And so um, I think that Sun Grown typically gives you more of that experience than indoor does. And I think that's for a variety of reasons. First and foremost, the spectrum of the sun. Right. There's there's a lot more going on in the sunlight than there is than anybody can produce with the best LED that's out there. Um, so that's one thing, right? There's a lot of like complex biological things, biochemical processes that are happening when, when all these different terpenes are being produced. And I think part of that is the different spectrum that the sun is, is giving. And then also it's easier to grow organically outside. It's difficult to grow organic inside. It's dirty. The the whole name of the game, like cleanliness, is next to godliness in indoor, right? So, if you if if you're running by that, then it's a lot harder to run an organic regimen. And I I think that there's a lot of research being done as to why why this happens, and and there's no real clear answer but when when there's a greater association of biological microbial life with the root system of the plant there's a correlation with higher terpenes in those plants so when you're growing organically or with living soil you're giving yourself the best shot to produce all of those varied terpenes and all of those varied cannabinoids and all of these different things that add to this story that you're trying to tell when you're trying to put out like a three-dimensional dab, right? And so I think it's easier to get that from sun-grown because of those reasons. And, and for those reasons, I think by and large, sun-grown, you're gonna see more of those like three-dimensional dabs. And then that's not to say you can't get it with indoor. I've had, you know, arguably some, arguably the best hash I've ever smoked has been indoor, right? Like that, that Dr. Who Petrings, that shit still, I, I don't know, it was like a year and a half ago I smoked it and I'm still like talking about it, right? That stuff is absolutely delicious. And it looked perfect. It was, it was white, white, white. Uh, so, you know, it's, I think that we're gonna start to see a lot more hash that's sun grown as opposed to indoor because the cost of production for indoor is just, it's too high. and the yields, the yields for sun-grown hash are better. The cost of production are much lower. And I think that by and large, the quality, the quality is a lot higher. And if your flower, if your flower is good enough to be super high-end indoor, which is what you need to make super high-end hash, 
I think the market is still, I think the market is still there to take that super high end flower as long as you're doing the same things where you're chasing new flavors. Um, Absolutely. Speaking to cost of production, um, do you feel that there's a, a ceiling in quality that uh, can't be exceeded by these commercial machines that we're seeing? We're seeing a rise in, in a number of different pieces of hash equipment, solventless focused equipment from Whistler Tech to the Axis to the Icon to the Osprey to the Hashatron to the Hashtech. Um, have you had a chance to look at any of these machines and, and what are your thoughts on them? Yeah, I've had a chance to check them out, but never really use them myself. Uh, just, you know, I've got friends that have them. And then, of course, like uh, at all the, the events and stuff, you see the, the demonstrations going on. So I've, I've seen them work and I've seen the hash that comes out of them, right? And, and, and they make great hash. They really do. Um, I think that with the machines, it's, it's, similar with a lot of things is once you start to automate it allows you to divert your focus and so if you if you're diverting your focus and you're not paying attention to the things that needed to, that need to be paid attention to then you're probably going to have your quality suffer a little bit right so it's like it's not if if you use the machine as the tool that it's meant to be and you're still doing all of those other little things that you're really paying attention to I think that, yeah, you, you can make very, very good hash. I think that like, if you, if you've got somebody that's sitting there in front of a, a trash can with an ore and they're stirring and they're hands on, you know, they're, they're feeling what's going on. They're feeling what's going on in that wash. They're watching it with their eyes. They're smelling it. You know, it's like, oh, more of your senses come into play you're you're more invested with your energy and your focus into what's going on there and so that's going to allow you to to make sure that all of the little steps all of those little moments that go into creating these three-dimensional dabs all of those are are taking place so that you can give the best representation of of what the farmer did you know and i think that's sort of you know my 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 idea of the hash maker is like the the best hash maker you you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to tell anything the the job of the hash maker is to leave no trace right like you're you're trying to not put your imprint on on the product that comes out you're trying to make that come through in the most pure way in the way that the plan expressed it right and so if you're doing your job as a hash maker you're you're really just like silencing your involvement in the whole thing it's like you're yeah. you're just trying to highlight what the grower and what the plant cooperative cooperatively did together right so so as a hash maker it's like the the best hash makers are the ones that are like leave no trace there's you, you can't tell that anything was done there's there's nothing there right absolutely what uh we're seeing a, a very much a rise in popularity of resin mixing and blending um, yeah either pre and post or post wash is, is that something that you're a, you're a supporter of, or what are your thoughts on that matter? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm a supporter of it. And I think, I don't know, people, people that are familiar with swollen heads, um, they know that we, we do a lot of blends. I'd say more than, more than half of the flavors that I put out are, are blends. Um, and I think that if you look at, uh, if you look at this type of stuff, that's, that's winning these hash competitions, like most of them lately have, have been blends. 
and um, I think it's a way it's a way to create different different narratives with sort of like those those same story elements I guess right so it's like if you're trying to tell a story with your dad then you can use these different story elements to create totally different stories and and in doing that you're also you're also being efficient with the stuff that, that you're producing off your farm right which is also another important thing for people like me I'm a small farmer so I have to maximize like every little decision that I make so it's like if I can if I can make you know if so for example last season I grew 25 individual flavors and then there's different phenos in that and then I also I sourced like another 20 flavors on top of that individual flavors and so it's like if I have 45 individual story elements I can put those all together to create, you know, in an ungodly amount of combinations that are all a completely different story. And so I can keep people engaged with wanting to try these new flavors and I can keep people coming back to swollen heads because number one, they know that it's gonna be even even though that a lot of these story elements are are the same or similar they know that when they come to that, it's going to be a different story. They're going to get a different story from it. And so it's, that allows well, the, ingredients, the blending. You know, What's those that? are ingredients. Those are ingredients. Yeah, yeah and this exactly. Is a, and you're a, you're a chef and you're creating a, a, creating a meal and you're using different ingredients to create the meal. And that's what, that's what the menu for each maker, I think, is going to evolve into. Because, you know, like you had said earlier, like don't throw away – uh, the things that don't wash really well because those are ingredients, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like having, having those, those flavor ingredients. And then also, you know, it's like every, like I was saying, every crop is different. So some, sometimes that papaya cake too, that I have, like if I, if I run it in depth, like number one, if I run it in depth, I'm seeing like 2% less strain for strain. So, you know, I've, I've done a few things in the garden, like, throwing shade cloth up you know for for the flower um that's got my wash numbers back up to where you know they are for full term but the resin still just isn't quite as nice or the flavor profile is like a little bit different i i tend i tend to find that in the heat of the summer i get a little bit more gas and then the the trichome is a little bit like it's got a thicker membrane. So you get a little bit more of like that waxy residue in your mouth sometimes that you'll get. And then also like when you whip it up, it's a little bit drier too. So like that kind of stuff, I've, I've decided this year to kind of stop growing depth and, and I might start growing uh, winter run crops instead because this last winter I had friends that, you know, they had, they had late crops that went, they were all just sort of like larfy and small. And it was the, the classic, Hey Tito, I got this. Like, what do you think? You want to wash it? Did a jar test. It did decent. We wash it. And it was like the wettest hash that I've ever seen. The absolute wettest hash. It was some of those Bezos. And it was like, I didn't, I didn't have enough of it to put out like any real amount, any real drop of it. So it's like, I use it, I use it to blend with stuff, but it's like you open the jar and you look at it and it just melts like as the rosin, you know, it's like, it's, it's just so soupy and wet. And this dude, he grows with salt too, which is like, so, so the winter run, the winter run also, you know, I'm seeing is 
the resin that comes off of the winter room is like really, really high quality. So um, I think that I'm going to move away from the depths and start doing more of the winter round and then also the full term stuff. That's uh, that's very cool observation. I, uh, I, I mean, I definitely have seen up in Canada, these, these hybrid greenhouses are pulling their best, um, their best runs in the wintertime for sure. Consistently. Yeah. So yeah, and then it's like, if you, if you look at the Helios guys out in Maine, you know, they have a similar climate to Vermont. They're, they're getting tons of clouds. They're getting low temperatures. They don't get blasted by the sun like we do in California. And if you've ever had like the fortune to smoke their hash, it's, it's really, really nice stuff. It's like super wet. It's all really flavorful. They're another crew that does a really good job of, and, and it's the same thing. They have control over their cultivation. So they, they can do a good job of curating their menu. And, uh, and it's, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that like we, we as, as small producers need to do. We gotta, we have to curate our, curate our menus so that we have, you know, a, a diverse, a diverse menu of flavors. And then also, you know, like all, all of these different flavor ingredients so that you can mix kind of whatever flavor you want. I tell, I tell people a lot of times, people that, that want to buy like white label stuff, a lot of times, you know, they ask me like, what do you have for flavors? And then a lot of times my response to them is, what do you want? What do you want for flavors? Because I have all of these different ingredients and I can, I can make you, you know, sort of a flavor kind of that will hit the things that you're looking for, right? So it's like, if you tell me you want this amount of gas, this percentage gas, this percentage fruit, this percentage candy, you know, whatever, then it's like, if, if you have all of those ingredients as a hash maker, then you're able to give your, your direct consumer kind of whatever they're asking for at that point. So I think that's, that's a super valuable thing for a hash company to have is, is to be able to curate your menu. It's like what Addison was saying, you know, it's like that, that I think is a super important thing for us as, as small producers to be able to do because the big guys, the big guys can curate their menu, right? But, but in curating their menu, they're also, they're also blowing out that flavor at the same time. So it's like, if, if we're able to curate our menus to sort of like stay ahead of the curve from these big producers, um, then, then I think, I think we're going to do fine. And it's just sort of understanding how, how we fit into this, this market now that everything is becoming flooded out and, and getting out and, and being able to tell, to tell our story and just sort of like, you know, allow people to understand like what sort of what's going into this, you know? And it's like, it's, we're, we're just people. We're people that, that like growing weed, that like making hash, that like smoking weed, that, you know, and, uh, and, yeah, the the support of the people that also like smoking weed and smoking hash and, and enjoy the culture. It's like that, that means everything to us as small producers. And so, you know, I think, I think just getting, getting the consumers to recognize that and, and that we do put a lot of effort into to making sure that, that we're providing an experience to, to and for the people that, that appreciate it, you know? Yep. 
you were uh, lucky enough to be at Legends in LA last year. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that was like? I actually get to go this year, so I'd love to hear, you know, I, I'm asking everyone, I'm like, what was your experience like? So tell tell everybody listening what, what Legends is like for you. Yeah, Legends, Legends was really cool, actually, because uh, that was sort of like the first sort of industry event that uh, I went to. And I think that there was... It, we had started cranking out like quite a few flavors and it was just like, you know, I was, I was doing drops of new flavors like every two or three weeks or something. And it was like, I, I started getting all this chatter on Instagram. I was just sort of like, where, where did you guys come from? Like, what, like, what the hell, you know, all your shit's fire. Like, what, what's going on? Who are you guys? Like, and all this stuff. And it was, you know, nobody really knew, who we were with the exception of just like, you know, a few of the, a few of the people up in Trinity County that, and even, even some of them, like I had no idea. I got DMs from some of them that were like, Oh, you're in Trinity. We should link up. And I was like, dude, it's Tito. Come on. Like, it's like I'm here, bro. Yeah. That, that's how I, I tried your honey bananas first. Yeah. That was like the first thing I'd ever tried. And then it was like everything else I tried after that. I was like, dude, everything's fucking fire. And then I think, yeah, just shortly after that, I was like, oh, shit, I got to reach out to these dudes for Legends for sure. So, yeah, I was stoked that you were able to come out and, uh, and participate yeah, so, with us for sure. So I think the first, the first time you and I spoke about it, uh, I was down in Belize, actually. I was down there uh, for my lady's birthday. And it was like the, you know, this sort of first time where it was like somebody, somebody in the industry wanted something to do with swollen heads and it was just like it was it was a really really like uh validating sort of experience where it was just like oh shit okay all right like we're we're starting to get somewhere this is cool <laughs> uh and then and then yeah when when we went to legends it it it, it was really cool it actually kind of felt like a lot of people there had been like anticipating you know being able to meet to meet the people that are behind swollen heads and so it was like when i was you know introducing myself and, and people were, oh you're swollen heads and so it was just like that that was a really really cool experience because number one i got to meet all of these people in the industry that like i'd been seeing on instagram and i'd, I'd seen their work and you know i i really respect what they have going on and it's like to be to to be thought of as sort of like a contemporary of these people you know even even still sometimes like it's it's hard for me to think of it like that my buddies are always just like dude Tito, you got to stop thinking of like your your shit you know you're a top tier producer so uh but like even even just just being there like thought of as a contemporary of, of some of these guys that have been doing this for a really long time and and really you know, by and large paved the way for me to be able to quickly make an impact on, on the industry. Right. Which is, I guess, really the mind boggling part to me is that, you know, like I, I really, I really have now at this point been able to make an impact on the industry. And it's like, I'm, you know, you guys are talking to me on a podcast right now, three years ago, I never in a million years would have thought that like somebody somebody would be asking me to be on a podcast talking about my phone and my hash and all this stuff. So it's, it's really cool. And, and legends, I got that same kind of vibe, right? Where it was just like, Whoa, 
this is really cool. This is this is awesome. Like people are people are digging this shit, you know, because it's like it started out as just a couple of yahoos pulling tarps on the side of a mountain, you know, and it's like to to go from that to to coming out and having some of these bigger players in in the industry, like you know, just just giving being here in New York and giving jars to people to to try some of the dabs, you know, and they'd be like. Oh, I tried, I tried this, the papaya melon mints from you guys. And that's, I still remember that one, you know, that was amazing. Like just, just having that is incredible. So legends was great. Legends was great for that. And then also the, the, the networking and sort of like the momentum started to build kind of after that. And I think, I think a big part of it was, was being at legends and just being able to meet all these other people that are trying to do the same thing you know, and, um, and, and it was great. I think, you know, in, in terms of like the actual legends event, um, the only thing that I would say is just more time, which I think you guys, you guys got that figured out for this next time, you know, it's like, yeah. uh, we just, we didn't have enough time to enjoy all those chirps and, and figure well, out. You have enough time well. now, you know, you have enough yeah. time to, cause we, cause I mean, we already talked about it. So you're invited back this year. Yeah, yeah. And then there and then there's three separate you can enter all three categories if you want. So you don't have to just have one entry now. So yeah, there's some cool. cool stuff that I think for you guys cuz you are like the master of these just crazy blends that end up becoming you know, like some of my favorite stuff is is some of those crazy ass blends. And then every time I see you you'll be like, "Oh, and this jar is a there's only <laughs> There's only a small amount of this jar, Eddie. So that's yeah. This one, I'll be like, oh, okay. So it's like, yeah, you're always kind of creating these weird things. And whenever I talk to you, you have a pretty strong understanding or a very strong understanding of what your inventory is, mm -hmm. uh, because you're able to. I mean, listen, when you make hash like this and this tight, you're able to sort of stop time. Uh, on the you know on the oxidation process of the product by putting it in the freezer and, right. and holding on to it and preserving it and it, and it also just that whole concept just adds to you know what you and I have talked about and that's that like hash solventless hash makers are, are archaeologists or they're like crime mm -hmm. scene investigators you know they're like these dudes right. that like come in separate everything and go this dude murdered this dude and then you're like oh okay fuck yeah like yeah, like this yeah, yeah, yeah. this grower murdered this harvest, and so did the breeder. And here's the fucking the material from it. And you're just one of those like one of my favorites in that way because you're you 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 are holding on to things and then parsing them together and creating these these meals that that I call them meals. They're they're just yeah. beautifully uh, you know well orchestrated, put together flavors and taste and. You know that mints, just all these different ones. That melon mints, all these different ones that are so good. So no, that's uh, yeah. Um, you, you're kind of you kind of help me focus a lot more on that, just from like a, uh, you know, a fan of hash, someone who likes stuff, because it yeah. opens up, it opens up, uh, you know, a company's ability to actually create an offering, or or mm -hmm. throw away the limitations of what their menus can look like, because they have this ability to go into the lab. And say, hey, today I'm a chef and I'm building a meal and my meal is going to include these ingredients at these volumes. Right. And then they fucking make that. And that's I, I love to see that more. Plus, this is like one of the reasons why we made Pipeline. <clears throat> you know, and you and I talked about like 
you know, me and Tito were talking and he's like, man, pipeline kind of like, I don't know if I like it or not. You know, it's like kind of weird that it's going to like open these things up. And, and, and in our conversation, I think we talked about that. It's like pipelines, not for swollen heads and Tito, right? You know, that's a place for maybe swollen heads and Tito to resign to, to, you know, send some strains off the pasture mm-hmm. to, to launch a seed, a seed brand or something like that's what pipelines for, for breeders. But Right. Uh, w- what it is is it's for these other companies that are coming in or in the game that want to step it up, that want to provide good material, that want to have access to that stuff. So it's you know it's kind of like in our conversation. I think by the end of it, he was like, "Oh, you know what? Like, yeah, that you are right. That it's not like a it's not a bad thing for him because it is for like the the larger end of the industry, the other side. But for him to be what he, you know what he is and what he does, which is you know, just a fucking chef putting together these crazy ass flavors and these beautiful strains. Like the, the entry for legends this year was one of my favorites. And then, um, I mean, just knowing that next year you guys can enter, you know, a melt entry or, or sorry, a, a water hash entry or a rosin entry or a collab. Um, I'm looking forward to kind of seeing what you guys put together. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I remember, uh, the drop off for legends, uh, I busted out this jar of, uh, I think it was honey dipped guava. Uh, oh, yes, it was. And it was like, you know, I, I, I dropped off a flavor student and you were like, Oh, cool. Thanks Tito. You know, like that's great. Uh, and then, you know, you, you tried that jar and, uh, you were just like, Holy shit. The flavors in that Tito, what is that? And then that was, you know, that was sort of like the beginning of, of, yeah. our conversations about those plants you know oh um, yeah take your dad my friend take your dad yeah we've had some good conversations like some very good uh you know just just take some dabs taste some stuff and then just get to kind of chat because tito's been as you as you see him here like he's, he's really been in the industry <laughs> yeah come into it and, and been involved in so many different components of it and i think that's what gives him uh you know this this crazy ass ability to, to manage this type of shit and, and to pay attention to the branding and the building of that brand and the setting those standards for what they put out. Because that's the other thing I've never, I've never tried anything that they've ever put out that wasn't presentation wise, really well put together and never seen a dry jar. There's all these little things about their stuff. That's like, I think that's why when people get it, they're like, Oh fuck. Yeah. There's and you don't yeah, see yeah. a lot of it, you know, that's, that's, what's nice too. It's not like overly pushed and overly blasted out there. So it's, you could tell that there's a lot of love in every bit of it that's out. So no, yeah. Yeah. Do you yeah, know, is, sure. is that a quave? No, this isn't a quave. This is uh honestly, I don't remember now. This is a, <laughs> this is a guy out of Russia and I don't remember his name right now, but it was, I went over to Spanibus and, uh, I didn't bring a rig with me because I brought a bunch of hash and I didn't want to do the whole like have rig and hash together type mm-hmm. situation. So I just like, I needed a rig when I was there and I scooped one up uh, and it was this. And now, now I feel like an asshole for not knowing who it was. That, that <laughs> it, was it looked, it looked like it could have been a quake from, from, yeah, no, it's, it's a Russian not quake, that heady. This, yeah, it's this, a Russian quake. This is my, that's a Robertson I have. That shout out to, shout out to Ab I got that from him. Um, but, but yeah, no, the glass, the glass thing, like, 
I'm just starting to get into the glass a little bit and it's really mostly by osmosis just from like being around all these people that, you know, the people that like heady hash like heady glass. And so I'm just sort of like absorbing the glass culture, you know, just from being in the hash culture, I guess. Oh, for sure. The two, two are so like, the two push one another so much. Yeah. And yeah. If there's a massive shift in one, you can see it affect the other. It's very interesting. It's a really kind of a, a if you think about it, the glass evolution, evolutions in glass and consumption are what's always pushed for the next, you know, evolution for for the processing and vice versa. Like they they keep pushing each other. It's like, oh, yeah. Now there's a lot of batter, and oh, and now there's fucking these crazy nails, and oh. And, and why it just keeps going back and forth. It's a it's a cool ass tennis game to watch if you know what the fuck you're looking at. That's the yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Is mothership is mothership gonna drop anything at the next show and the next legends? The next legends, mothership's gonna be there. They're one of the large they're one of the the you know, the high end sponsors and they're doing from talking to Scott, they're doing a legends series of uh uh for the design. Oh my. be a graphic that's legends which oh, will be like so you know, whatever cool. the design is so yeah this is uh <clears throat> you know scott have you, and seen I are, it? have you seen the design no i haven't gotten to see it yet okay. that's that's what's cool about it i'm looking forward to it as soon as i do i'll uh i'm sure they're going to start sharing and marketing so there'll be more marketing this year between legends and mothership um and then there's some other announcements with mothership too so. cool very cool. Okay. So Tito, I wanted to uh, kind of ask you, change, change gears a little bit and say, you know, the overall cannabis market is in a pretty tough position right now. What are your thoughts over the next three years? Like, do you feel as though it's, things are going to get better? Or do you feel like it's going to get worse before it gets better? Um, I think it's going to, I think it's going to, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to think of it getting worse but i think that you know it's either it's either gonna get worse or it's gonna kind of be status quo like this for a little bit honestly like i really i think i think that's what it is and it's kind of like if you if you got the stomach for it then get some you know because now 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 is the point in time where people are going to be giving up and then there's going to be you know there's going to be a scramble to to get going before things go federally legal, and um, it's going to be a real big struggle for smaller producers to do that in the current climate right now. Just because there's you know there's so much product on the market, and it's, I think that I think that smaller producers are going to have to be really smart with every decision that they make, and and you know that. From, from genetics to inputs that they put into their crop and, and how how they delegate different labor and, and all that kind of stuff, right? I think I think that all that is, is going to become essential to survive the next few years. I think that it's going to sort of as as everything evens out the path for the smaller producers is going to it's going to become a little bit more clear as to how we thrive rather than just survive but right right now you know it's like i i think 
for smaller producers like myself and most of my friends that are that are most of these you know hash brands that, that people are smoking out there um i think we just got to get better really i think that's all there is to it i think we we have to get better and uh and we got to have a strong stomach really i think we got to be tough and, and we got to be good and i think that yeah i don't know i'm ready for it i'm ready for it i'm still still all in so that's what we need man that's what we need we need to help yeah, each other yeah. level up um in the in the last five years what would you say your proudest achievement has been either inside or outside of cannabis yeah. hmm. shit dude that's a good question we like to come with the good ones at the end wow my proudest achievement god shit i don't know i guess i guess just uh i think i think the day the day that i got my own farm right like the day the day that the deed the yeah. deed went into my name and all that like that i think i think that's my proudest moment because that's like that was something that I, I was working for for a long time and it was like the the path to get there was definitely not straight and it was definitely not uh not easy so yeah yeah i, I think that's probably my proudest my proudest achievement before i go i don't know other than the people that you'd mentioned previously or the individual who who got you into solventless have there been any other individuals on your journey that have been instrumental in, in you refining your skills or would you say you're more more or less self-taught um so so i think after after getting like the basics of uh the washing you know the introduction to the washing and that was sort of just like that was just like uh the basics of like pr professor set professor sif came up to the hill and he sort of like you know gave gave the rundown of his sort of like basic tech right and then that sort of just got passed as like the basics down the line and so i i sort of like got a modified version of of his basics right and so like he he kind of came up to our mountain and he's sort of like he he was the initial push you know with the like leveling up all not all because because matt hasher and and heads that road he he wasn't involved with those guys at all right but uh but that was sort of like the beginning the beginning of of my base right and then after after we started really just like washing everything ourselves uh then then it was sort of just like refining the technique as like, you know, you, you run into problems or, or you start, you see this kind of, it's like, all right, this is coming out like this. These people don't have that problem. And so it's like, sometimes like, uh, Sean from splash solventless, there's been, there's been times where I've, you know, hit him up and he, he tells me, you know, whatever experience he has with anything and you know there was like some stuff going on when we were first like getting the pressing going on and i hit him up and he was like oh dude like you gotta you gotta get that shit off the plate quicker you know so it's like sometimes you know you think it's you think you're getting the the, the hash hot but it's really like you gotta bump your temp up so it comes off the plate quicker you know and so it's like that kind of stuff 
little tips like that. Sean, Sean definitely has always been there to answer questions. Um, now, now that I'm starting to get into more of like the, the business side of the hash game and, and thinking about carrying into the legal market and, and, and then also like interacting with other brands and this kind of stuff. Um, Taylor, Taylor, T. Beasel, Solventless Viking, he's always somebody that always is down to share whatever like he really is. And he's always, he's always shouting me out. He's always, he's a, he's a big proponent of keto and swollen heads. And, and I got a lot of love for that too. He's, he's always, uh, he's always there for whatever <laughs> I've needed and, and whatever questions I have, like personal or, or business related. Um, and then, Flynn over at Wooksauce Winery, he's he's always been somebody that's been like very forthcoming and and open with his knowledge and experience, and he's always there. Any message I've sent him, he's always said, "Call me up, dude. Let's chat about this or that, or you know, like." A, so there's there's been a bunch of people, you know, that have. Uh, that have helped out quite a bit. My buddy, my buddy, Charlie, I think a lot of people who have, who have, uh, been around me or seen me at these events, like Charlie often has been with me and, uh, and he's been somebody that, you know, we, we kind of started the, the solventless journey around the same time. And, and we've always, we've always worked like pretty close together. And he's been somebody that's always been, um, solid and there and there to help out and, and all this stuff too. And so he, he, he's been another person that's been influential. I mentioned Ashok, Ashok, you know, before I said he's, he's always from day one, he's been there to, to always like make whatever connections are, are there to be made. And, and he's, he's on that same path where he's like, he's, he's a small producer and he produces absolute fire. Um, Right now, right now he's just growing, you know, and, and working the production side in terms of material. Um, and he's, he's working with a bunch of different brands and everything that he's putting out is super fire too. And so, so he's been, he's been really influential and, and helpful and everything. Recently I've been working with Bo, uh, over the guys real at the real rich boys and, um, Bo's another Bo's another dude who's up on the hill and, and he's he's a good old boy that's been doing this and, and you know, doing it off off grid and, and he grows all organic and all natural and and that's that's something, you know, that we that we switched over to. We we were doing like a combination synthetic and organic uh approach and it's just seeing seeing the difference in the hash, you know, made it made us switch over. It's it's day and night obvious. Uh, and so Bo's Bo's over there, and he's growing all organic uh, living soil, and he's he's crushing away. And yeah, he's he's a great dude. Another person who I can call and ask whatever questions. I, I talk to him about the market a lot, and what's going on with prices, and what he's doing, and what I'm doing, and what we're thinking. And you know, so it's 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 really nice to have to have these people to work with that there's a level of camaraderie amongst the people that I really like working with that, 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 that makes it possible to keep doing this kind of stuff. You know, it's like without, without these guys that, that I'm talking about, like shit, I don't know. This, this whole thing looks a lot darker, you know? So, yeah. so it's real, it's real cool. 
it's real cool having like this crew um, that's that's there just for turfs, you know. Um, yeah, and, uh, and the brothers around the yeah. Turf. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. yeah. What uh, What are you most excited about this year, either personally or professionally? Like, do you have some new projects you're working on, or anything anything that you want to announce right now? Um. Yeah. So the things the things that I'm excited for for this year, I guess I guess personally, immediately, I'm about to go back to Vermont for the first time in like I don't know, in five or six years, I think now. So. Uh, I'm about to go back and check out Vermont. That's in like two two days or something like maybe even tomorrow. We'll see. But uh, so yeah, that's that's super exciting. And then in terms of in terms of the work stuff, um, I'm gonna be starting to put out a lot more uh, solventless pens. I just just did the first round of them. We used the Tick Pro hardware, which um, it's okay. It's readily available. People know how to work with them. And, and but. Uh, I got some things in the work for for some different hardware that's like a ceramic ceramic cell one, and uh, so those those should be coming out, you know, relatively soon. Um, I'm gonna keep pushing out some of these the the tick pros in the meantime, just to get the pens out there. I think they're a great way to get people transitioned from smoking flour into smoking solventless. I think it's a it's a great little segue to get people into the hash into the hash market so mm-hmm. i'm going to start pushing those out trying to get people a little bit more familiar with the brands and, and some more hash holes i just did a collab with rome, rome rolls bars and uh i'm going to do some other ones uh with some people i think the guys over at donuts are doing a really good job uh their stuff is great too so i think i'm gonna i'm gonna push out uh some of those in the different markets too um and then like I was saying before, I haven't I haven't really done anything with all this 90U stuff and 120U stuff that I have set aside. So I'm gonna start um, I'm gonna start a new line coming up here. I'm gonna call it the heaviest heads line, um, and that's gonna be all the all the 90 and 120 that's uh, that that I have put aside. It's all the first wash 90. So that should be coming out, and hopefully, I mean, I know I know everybody's really gonna like that stuff. Um, and so that should be coming out. I'm going to try to get that out in like the next, I don't know, month or so. I should have that going. Um, and then the other thing is the Taylor Solventless Viking. We got that 5150 collab that's coming out soon. Um, we should be getting that going again. That, that might be out in the next month too, I'm pretty sure. Um, and then uh, in terms of flavors this year, I'm growing uh, – I just picked up uh, a new spot with a partner of mine, Max, uh, out out in Nevada County, um, and we've got all the hitters that I've hunted out in the years past that are growing out, out there. So, you know, the dark rainbow, the strawberry 2.1, papaya melons, um, the 90 micron, a bunch a bunch of the ones that that I've pulled out of seed packs. All the tried and true hitters; those are going out into production over in Nevada City, and then in Trinity, I'm 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 running the same old song and dance with the Pinot Hunt. Just I'm going a little bit a little bit heavier with it this year. So, um, this the stuff I'm excited for with those. Um, the Sour Rainbow from OG Naj. He's he's a breeder who's over in Brussels. When I went over to uh, Spanabis, I met him over at the Turps Army shop, and there was people. I, I had a homie over there and I, I said, these, these are my missions for, for a while I'm in Europe, right? And 
one of them was to get some genetics from some European breeders that were going for hash that nobody over here was going to have. And uh, so my homie was like, all right, these are the guys you need to see. And I sort of just, I randomly uh, ran into Naj at, at the, the Troops Army thing and we just started bullshitting and he pulls out a bag of weed. It was the sour rainbow and I smelled it and I was like, oh my God, that's incredible. And then he was like, yeah, this is my hash. This is the hash entry from, from Ego. And it was like, this beautiful blend of like sour and and z turps it was it was amazing and then he showed me so he showed me the rosin then he showed me the melt right then he had the seeds of it and then he showed me the wash numbers and he's doing all this at his house in his backyard it's illegal as shit he's in brussels right and so like he had me sold right then and there not like let alone his his wash numbers that he was showing me were like you know they were in the seven to eight percent range and it was just like okay so this is and it and it was like the majority of that was to the melt bag too and so it was like all right cool like let me get as many of those as you have in your backpack right now uh, so so that was really cool. I'm excited about his sour rainbow. And then another, another group over there who's producing some super high quality stuff, the grateful seed co. Um, I've got their Z head, which is, um, that's Z O Z from, from third gen by, uh, that's by, it's like, it's, it's a, a few different things, but they're like different, different chem crosses basically. Um, and so that one was like a, a funky, a funky garlic armpit. Um, like candy i guess basically and that one was like i remember trying that at ego over there in barcelona that was that was one of the ones that just like you hit it at these competitions there's there's all these different categories where you give like a number for each different thing right high like how high does it get you that's one of them right so when you're smoking 30 dabs in a row how the fuck are you supposed to tell how high this dab gets you right but for me i do it based on like does it get does it get me high in a funky part, right? Can I feel that high in like a specific location? And it's like I remember that stuff was just like boom, top of the head and the forehead, and it just made me pour sweat immediately upon taking it. So I was like ten out of ten. Dad sweat. But Fuck yeah. yeah, so that that I'm super excited about. I also got a Barbara's pie from him um, that I'm running as well, and then. Uh, I've got I've got some some diesel gear. Uh, so what was the last one? Barbara's Barbara's pie, and that's so so that one's like a that one's a peachy flavor, and and I'm forgetting what Matt, the genetics are. Is that Matt's work from Great Gardener? Is that no Matt? no so so that's also that's also from Great Placico, and they're oh, out cool. of they're out of uh, I'm pretty sure they're Barcelona. Um, so I grab I grab their stuff and I'm running that. Um, and then I've actually I made the first year that I had uh, my own property I got um, I I picked out a few males and one of them was a Donnie Burger male and I hit that to some pineapple upside down cake I'm calling that the Big Kahuna Burger so. We'll see if anything interesting comes out of that. I don't know. I figured I'd roll the dice and something I made myself. If something cool comes out of it, then, then maybe I can I can do something to work with it and, and start developing some kind of proprietary genetics that you know go along with that with that same ethos of like you got to produce different and you got to be in control of your own your own mm -hmm. material. So yeah. um, 
So yeah, that's that's another thing that I'm kind of excited about too. Is, is I've got a gang of males going at the house right now, um, and so I'm just sort of like going through and waiting to see if I see any trikes popping out. I'm sniffing them and uh, and and we'll see what we got going. And then I've got I've got my stable of hitters that uh, that I'm just ready to ready to go when I find that nice male. And then and then we'll see like if I start getting some cool stuff that comes out that. Uh, that I, I would want to share with some people that I that I would think would be worthy of putting the Swan Head's name on if, if I was going to do it. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing also is, um, you know, I think I think that most most people sort of realize as well that, that um, you know, a lot of brands that are on the traditional market, like there's, it's working, but I think that, that there's not like, you know, not a super secure future in that. Right. And I think, I think there at least is the potential of a secure future on, on the recreational market. And so, you know, we're, we're exploring the different ways that that makes sense uh, for us to do that. And, and, you know, hopefully, hopefully by, by harvest time, we've got that figured out and then maybe we can get some, uh, we can get some rec drops going for, for the people that like going into stores and, and they don't like doing things the traditional way. So mm -hmm. that'd be great. Yeah. Hell yeah. Bro, Tito, we appreciate you coming on. What's the best, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Uh, hit me on Insta, Swanhead Tashco. Um, and yeah, shoot me a DM. Um, I, I try to run through the requests as, as often as I can, and I find and I find the people who are uh, not just asking for jars. Uh, that's you know, don't just hit me up and ask me uh, if I ship or that kind of shit. But uh, yeah, if you if you got questions like, hey, dude, you know what the hell is in this orangeade? Or uh, like, dude, this this poly pockets on fire. I think I taste this, but like, what you know, what do what do we got going on in there? Hit me up. I answer those questions all the time. Try to be, you know, as as open as I can with uh, with what I got going on, and, and I appreciate the people that like our stuff. So if you're if you're digging it, hit me up, show some love, and and absolutely, yeah, let's uh, let's let's chat. So well, again, thank you so much for coming thank on, you, bro. We appreciate you taking the time, and uh, yeah, man, we appreciate it. Thanks, yeah. everybody. Yeah, legends. Yes, yeah, yeah. legends, bro. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. All right, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Cheers, everyone. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Take it easy.